Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where all the dimlets live on Easy Street. I'm your host, the acceptable ethnic variant of Wiener, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert reading Radioactive Man comics while green, but I am wearing clothes. Thank God. And who is on the line? <laughs> well, this is Eric Siska, and see, Bob, you stole it from under me because I was going to say that's S-Z-Y-S-Z-K-A, an acceptable ethnic variant, <laughs> but... Uh, I guess I'm a quid. Uh, God damn it! What was that scrabble Quidgy-bo. term? Quidgybo. There we go. I'll be a Quidgybo today. Siska is easier to spell. And today's mm-hmm. episode is Bart the Genius. Hey, looking good, Bart. Bart, what happened? I had a little accident in chemistry today. Well, I bet it's nothing. A little turpentine won't take off. So yes, you voted for it. You wanted to hear it. So we're re-exploring season one. And our first guest is Eric Siska of the amazing podcast, We Hate Movies. Mm-hmm. Welcome Thanks back. Thanks for having me. When this is posting, it is pr- basically the 30th anniversary of the premiere of the first real episode of The Simpsons. If you count the Christmas special as not the debut and just as a special, this is right. the first episode of The Simpsons to debut. But technically the second production episode. Yes. 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 Yeah. We'll get in all that. I haven't seen this episode in so long, and I was surprised how like fully formed it is. And it's like a solid show from the start. I, I usually rewatch like three through six or so. So it was yeah. nice to dip back into one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, this is one of the uh, the stronger ones from the first season. Although there are still some weird elements we'll talk about throughout this podcast. Yes, but oh, though we should do our history segment, though, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Today's episode aired on January fourteenth, nineteen ninety, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this day in real life history. Oh boy, Bobby, Grant Gustin TV's Flash is born on this very day. George Foreman defeats future Simpsons guest star Jerry Cooney in two rounds. And why is the world in love again? Why are we marching hand in hand? Why are the ocean levels rising up? It's a brand new album for 1990. They might be giants. Brand new album, Flood. Well, that's all that matters. Yes, yeah. Uh, If you're between 30 and 40 and white, mm -hmm. possibly older, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Now the uh, I'd say between 30 and 50. Come on. Yeah. I think 30-year-olds would be 60 now who heard they might be giants then. So, yeah, it actually is 30 to 60. (laughs) Jeez. But uh, yes, no, They Might Be Giants album Flood was the first, one of the first CDs I ever bought because two of the songs from it, Istanbul and Particle Man, were on Tiny Toons. So I had 
to get the CD of it. And uh, yeah, it it was early nerd rock for me and entry into, and I still love it. Like I, as I was doing the research last night, I was like, I'll just put on the whole album. Let's just listen to it. It's a solid album uh, up there with like Weezer's Blue album, like solid start to finish. So mm-hmm. good. Yeah, a TMBG fan, Eric. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember I, I I used to go through their stuff like in high school. Um, I haven't really listened to it in a while. Now I want to like gear up some flood. It really takes you back in time when you listen to it. I think the uh... I think they've also aged better than Weezer because at a certain point they're like, <laughs> well, we're just gonna make kids music, but Weezer's like uh, 55 year old which Rivers Cuomo is making songs about malls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they put out that weird cover album. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Oh, I think no one wants that. <laughs> they're not even good covers. It's like yeah. basically them doing the rock band uh, video game version of songs. <laughs> it's like, what if Rivers Cuomo picked up a plastic guitar yeah, and like sang Rivers this? Yeah, it's like Rivers Cuomo was like, oh, no, we were supposed to be a wedding band. That's <laughs> basically where uh, our level was. Well, as someone who went to a Weezer concert last year, I can tell you the under 20 kids who were there really liked hearing of the cover. Really? Like they they loved hearing Africa. And and I was there, I was like, you know what? I'd rather hear Africa than anything after the Green album, honestly. That's fair. So yeah. I in my you know what not no Weezer talk. I'm gonna cut it off right there. <laughs> but uh, but yes, Jerry Cooney defeated by uh, George Foreman two rounds, a a nice punchy kind of guy. He was knocked so, out by like, Otto in uh, Springfield with a dollar a sign. Single punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that, this was part of George Foreman's return to boxing. His last run as a heavyweight champ uh, after he'd like retired to be a preacher for a uh, for a time. Interesting Ooh, fact that. about him: as a head in a jar, he envies the dead. <laughs> <laughs> and this is pre-grill, I assume. Yes. Yeah. The the grill is uh, is years away from Foreman at this point, and. Uh, and yeah, the, the TV show Flash, CW's The Flash of the Arrowverse. It's that Grant Gustin. He's a good actor. That's a, the Flash show is fine. Was Mark Hamill in that? Yes. Well, Mark Hamill was in the original Flash show, which actually was airing around this time. Oh. He also returned as his trickster character in the Flash CW show. I thought he played Cockknocker. (laughs) Cockknocker and Trickster look very similar, though the voice he does for Trickster is the Joker voice, pretty much. that's true. The, uh... It's funny, he when he played the trickster in his return role in CW's The Flash, it was like fresh off of his nine-second appearance in The Force Awakens. Everybody's like, he was just in a $4 billion movie and now is be just in a stupid Halloween costume giggling. He was there. Well, just- he, st- he started to cash in after that. Like, he also did some, what was, there's some, like, show on history or something called Nightfall or something he was in? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he does, Mark Hamill has been enjoying his time back in the limelight. I think. Uh, I yeah. like how in uh, no spoilers, but in Rise of the Skywalker, he plays the same role that Obi Wan Kenobi does in Return of the Jedi, just to show up and retcon things. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. stands. He stands the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, I might be a lying ghost, but from a certain point of view, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys see Rise of Skywalker just so people can complain about it forthrightly to you listeners. Yeah, you got to see it for content. Yes. <laughs> if you're uh, creating content out there, go see it. I mean, like Eric's uh, podcast, uh, We Hate Movies, your Rise of Skywalker podcast was great. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just it we were late on the game with it, but I think it's good because we got all those all these tidbits that are coming out about the production hell oh, that we God. were able to weave in. Yeah, you guys had a big month uh, for Star Wars. You had, I believe, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and uh, the Mandalorian miniseries, and also yes. your uh, your recent on screen about Rise of the Skywalker. Yeah, it's you know it turns out like I think I'm done talking about Star Wars <laughs> for a while. Like I, we put it because our Empire episode and our Jedi episode are both three hours each, and then the Mandalorian <laughs> half hours usually ended up being closer to an hour. So and then Rise of Skywalker was like seventy two minutes or so so i'm beat i think most of the world is done with star horse right now yeah. so yeah. You're, you're fine it's been funny the last month seeing many of my favorite you know media commentators who i look to for star wars information so many of them are are like you guys going going i'm tired of star wars i don't want to engage with it at all anymore i'm just done uh, uh but yeah your return of the jedi one uh and you're you talk for over three hours about empire and uh yeah the return of the jedi I, i'm gonna pimp bob into this you watched it for the first time i can't believe what? that it's uh, true yeah i mean uh i've gone over my star wars history but i'm a space balls guy like space balls was the first star wars movie that i saw basically i do, I do like space balls i think there was a generation of people born in the early 80s where they were too young for any Star Wars. So they took Spaceballs at, spa at uh, Space Value, at Face Value, <laughs> and was like, this is a fun adventure with jokes. And then later I found out Star Wars was real, and it wasn't until the movie uh, theater re-releases of those movies that I saw Empire. And then I worked my way back and saw the first one, and I never got around to Jedi, I think just because of the stigma. <laughs> and then I took it as a point of pride, a very annoying point of pride. Like, oh, I've never boy. seen the third movie, everybody. Check me out. Uh, so I finally got around to seeing it, and now... Hey, I can Bob, just, you yes. are so cool. I know. I've never seen a lot of movies. Avatar, Titanic, never seen them. Blade really? Runner, I think, is on there, too. I've never seen Blade Runner, although I do want to. Oh. I'm sorry. It'll happen one of these I days. play a lot of video games, all right? <laughs> You've played all the video games Blade Runner uh, got ripped off Exactly. From, so. I played Snatcher. I got the gist of it. Right. You played the Blade Runner video games, the Titanic video games. <laughs> <laughs> they should make a Titanic video game. It's about time. Yeah, I think so. But I didn't want to go over the writer for this episode. So our previous take on this first season, uh, the episodes were very short. And we didn't start doing these writer's corners until like around season six or seven. So I want to talk about, uh, we're going to be going through the initial like main cast of writers for the first season and this episode is written by john vd mm -hmm. let's go over his bio really quick would it surprise you <laughs> that he went to a little school called harvard i think of credited writers on this episode on this season there's two people who didn't go to Harvard, I it's think. Insane. Yeah. Is that what this gifted school is based on? I wonder. I, I thought a lot about Harvard seeing the gifted kids in this. I think on the commentary he says it's based on one of the gifted schools he went to as a kid, mm. like all the things he remembers. But yes, oh, uh, he was born the same year as Al Jean, 1960, and he was president of the Harvard Lampoon with Mike Reese. Wow. So I think, I mean, they were just giving an old buddy a favor because he had just gotten off a miserable year at Saturday Night Live. Live. He mm. hated it. That was his mm. first TV writing job, and he needed work, and this was a very low-stakes uh, show that was probably going to fail. Everyone thought it was going to fail. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, oh, this is a nice six months of writing this thing in a weird way, and then it definitely won't be renewed for a second season. Who would ever do that? So now it's going to outlive all of them. <laughs> they uh, absolutely. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it outlived. It outlived Sam Simon. It outlived uh, many people who worked, including on this. one of the actors on this show. 
Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. So yes, John Vitti wrote uh, 25 episodes of The Simpsons mm-hmm. and is behind classics like Lisa Substitute, Radio Bart, uh, Mr. Plow, and Cape Fear. And he wrote all of the early clip shows, only one of them under his actual name. Yeah, I mean, at gunpoint, he wrote them. It's funny on the commentaries, he's just like, this contractual obligation was completed with this third clip show. So he left in the mass exodus of writers in season four, but would come back to write the season seven premiere for Bill and Josh. They picked him because they knew he could make an amazing episode. And he also came back in Al Jean's uh, early second tenure to write a few episodes in the early 2000s. So he's got about like five or six between 2002 and 2004 or something like that. Mm, he's, I mean, he's one of the best, you know, we, you can talk about the Harvardness of it. Mike Reese gets defensive in his book about it because he, uh, he talks about how like, oh, you think it's just Harvard guys hiring Harvard guys. But, you know, Sam Simon hired all of us and he never went to Harvard. So the cronyism begins then when those guys took over and started hiring more Harvard guys. But I mean, VD too, he was one of the three guys uh on army man with meyer and Schwartzwelder. Oh, you're right about like, that yeah i mean he wasn't i think it is it goes like myers Schwartzwelder, and then bd on like who wrote the most on army man but he was an army man writer too so it's uh it, it's not just that he's a lampoon old uh friend of the friends there so uh, basically everybody left the show in season four because The Simpsons was not a union show. Mm-hmm. No one was making royalties. And this was the era of huge development deals for network TV. And, like, almost, and they're all being obscenely overworked, too. That, too. That's yeah. a big, that's a huge part of it. So after the Hollywood kids aren't used to that. No, no. <laughs> Just getting that, that, you know, that, that bell curve they give them, they adjust their grades. Because <laughs> they're all sons of oil barons, is my understanding of the scenario. It's very hard to work with all those silver spoons in your mouth. It's, it's exactly. distracting. So uh, he left The Simpsons to become a creative consultant on The Critic, where he wrote a few episodes of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he worked on uh, the Sam Simon co-created ABC sitcom Phenom as the oh. co-executive producer. I watched all of Phenom. Wow. I cannot tell you a single episode what happened in any of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, Simon, at least, though, he was watching out for his buddy. Like He's yeah. uh, one of his best writers, too. It makes sense. And yeah. that was a Gracie film uh abc sitcom the second one the first one was called sibs and nobody knows about that so So you watched all of that i did not see all of sibs i watched all of phenom i think because it was on like after home improvement what was it called again phenom it was about like a tennis like a like a little tennis pro oh yeah it was like a young girl who was a tennis pro who then wants to live a normal life i think so you you watched that instead of return of the jedi yes (laughs) i think i've I've seen more minutes of phenom than star wars But yeah, it starred, um, this is so stupid, it starred uh, the little girl Chrissy from Growing Pains and also uh, Judith Light from Who's the Boss. So two former sitcom stars talking too much about Phenom. Let's talk about what other, uh, what other stuff John Vitti did. So he also worked on things like King of the Hill, The Larry Sanders Show, and the third Gracie sitcom for ABC, What About Joan? What Whoa, About Joan? I don't know that one at all. The thing about Joan is they didn't air the episodes that they made for it. Oh, so that was the okay. Joan Cusack sitcom. Aww. Ten episodes remain unaired of that. It was right before September 11th. Oh. And uh, the last thing about John Vitti before this goes on too long is that he wrote the amazing Alvin in the Chipmunks, I believe, 2007 movie, which he swears his <laughs> script is much better than the, than the final movie, but he also wrote the Squeakquel and the Angry Birds movie. So yes, yeah. there you have it. Now he's getting paid. Uh, I mean, have you have you we hated movies? Any of those films? No, not yet. Um, oh man, not even. Gonna... I was sure the Chipmunks had been done. 
how, no, we're, I don't know. We sometimes we're like, Oh, we'll save stuff. You know, everyone else is jumping on it. We'll save it 10 years later. We'll come around the corner with it, but I've never seen it, but I just, part of me suspects it might be even too bad to even talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to hear the writers uh, roast him on some commentaries about that movie. He's like, yeah. I swear the script was good. The script I turned in was funny. Uh, I mean, his Angry Birds film sounds better by comparison, <laughs> I think. just uh, I think he also... Oh, in the Ice Age movies. I think he worked he was a little like on a, those, too. A, a big consultant. But yeah, he wrote my favorite critic, which was the Siskel and Ebert one. That was yeah. a John Beatty episode. Uh, well, and also the uh, my favorite critic's Duke Phillip disease episode. Oh, Duke, uh, Duke's oil, yeah, Duke's oil or Sherman's oil, uh, something like whatever. that. Whatever. Anyway, that episode uh, is really great, and it also has a make you up a word in Scrabble joke as well mm. in it. So that is true. Yeah, he. You know, Eric too. I wanted to ask, like, uh, where were you thirty years ago when this episode <laughs> aired? <clears throat> I was a young boy in the uh, Catskill Mountains, living in a very, uh, I guess, unusual life. For instance, now this is kind of like your Return of the Jedi thing, Bob. Is I've never <laughs> Never played Scrabble. Not till this day. I've wow, still never wow. played Scrabble. Wow, You're, you yeah. don't have a family of nerds that makes you play Scrabble. <laughs> no, I lived. I lived on a mountain. So you weren't watching this show then in the in the first oh, I, episode. I was actually funny enough. Um, once the Simpsons de- really debuted and started really getting going, it might have been a year or two after this episode. I was in a uh, Boy Scouts type organization. I, it was the I think it was the Boy Scouts. I don't have to say type of organization, <laughs> but uh, I dropped out because the 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 troop meet was the same time as the Simpsons, and I was like, no, nah, I can't. I got to pick. I think that was by design. They did not want you watching that show. <laughs> it was to protect you. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. this whole episode opens with a Scrabble set piece, but I remember distinctly the Christmas of 1991. There was a miscommunication in the family, and I somehow got two of the same Scrabble sets. What? By like an uncle and my parents. Just like we have, we have two Scrabble boards. Which one do I want to use today? <laughs> Pick them off the shelf. Yeah, uh, my family mom's side loves a scrabble it actually we don't play it anymore at family get-togethers of her side of the family because the last couple times were like some people had a little too many fun drinks and uh people especially with the advent that's of when the, the slurs inter- come out well no but it is like when people go that's not a word yes it is yeah. well, i'm looking online that's not the rules you where's the dictionary blah 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 like it's uh it, it gets very tense i think scrabble was just invented to make people argue and destroy families <laughs> i think when i look back at this episode it's i think a obviously we'll probably say this 800 times in this season yes uh, and i will not apologize for repeating myself yes. from five years ago it's gonna happen i didn't listen to those episodes again before this so please uh, bear with me if those are somehow fresh in your mind which yeah. they shouldn't be uh but this was not the first episode there was some enchanted evening which is the airing final episode and fully redone but the planned first episode that would be the first regular episode of Simpsons people would see was Some Enchanted Evening. This was going to be the second one. But I think they really, luck was on their side 800 times in a row on The Simpsons that made it the phenomenon it was, a phenom. <laughs> but, uh, but, but this being the first regular episode was so smart because Simpsons mania was really Bart mania. And this is a Bart episode where Bart says his catchphrase does cool things is the main character like i think by starting with this one this is what got 
brought kids into the show making the Simpsons they hit it would be. And the next episode is about Homer killing himself. So yes, yeah. it's a real roller coaster ride this season. <laughs> now, that one still starts with some Bart, though. That is it's, true. It's yeah. a Bart first act. I... Do we want to talk about the uh, the very strange first version of this opening where the dissipation of the clouds at first just takes way too long? It makes me yeah. anxious. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a fade into the intro. There's not like a hard like smash into the intro. Just like a gentle fade. The yeah. clouds take about five seconds to part and all of the weird season one stuff is in this intro sorry eric no no no. it's just it is a longer intro like i i had totally forgotten this like there's people waiting for a bus at some point one of one of which looks like an old bart simpson yeah i wrote in my notes bart is stealing from himself in the future (laughs) it's a looper scenario and then Krusty's on the screen, and there's, I mean, they hadn't established the Springfield cast yet, so there's just rando dudes, like, instead of Smithers and Burns behind Homer at the power plant, it's a guy. It's just some guy with with a beard line. And, I mean, most of the characters in the background in the intro, they break all the rules of, of the show, too. Yeah, I mean, they lost a lot from this intro. One of the things that I actually like is the shot of Lisa riding her bike, going That's over such the bump. a great shot. All the yeah. books like sort of like uh, go up in the air and then fall back down in that little belted loop she has. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, that's such a cool shot that I I wish they'd they'd kept it. I and on the commentary graining. So it's so I'm so glad that me and you are coming back to this too after we did the shorts. Like me and you did a lot lengthy Patreon only exploration of the shorts because you can see how shorts decisions followed into this first season. And on the commentary, Graining talks about how this intro is way longer than even intros were in 1990 for most shows for the same reason he wanted some shorts to happen during blackouts because he's like i just want to make things easier (laughs) on the animators let's just have something long so there's less animation but as the show would go on they'd have to keep cutting well they kind of go between really loving having a long intro because episodes would sometimes come in short but other times episodes run really long and they have to just cut straight to the credits of the creator and develop by. And I think this is the first couch gag and possibly the only one where the couch gag extends past the shot of the couch where Bart falls down in front of the TV, in front of the develop by credits. I kind of wish they kept that. I think it should be a, like using him falling as the transition between created by and developed by. I think that's a really cool idea. Perhaps just something happened that's an extension of the couch gag you saw, but that's just even more work. And also the chalkboard gag of like i will not waste chalk that's a good i i think that's a good first chalkboard gag yeah definitely well something else to consider that opening too with the clouds it reminds me of a thing that was in mike reese's book that like blew my mind the joke that nobody ever got was that it says the simpsons but it says the simps as in simpletons (laughs) and then ons comes in after that so so subtle that even after him telling me that i'm like i still don't (laughs) see it i'm sorry it's like a magic eye poster for me I mean, season one is littered with two subtle things that when you read the script or hear the writers or artists talk about it, you're like, oh, that was the joke. Oh, okay. that Harvard nuance. (laughs) There is one thing in here I noticed for the first time that just blew my mind. I was like, you guys tried way too hard on this. Mm -hmm. 30 years later, 60 viewings later was the first time I noticed like, oh, that's a joke. (laughs) I had no idea. We'll get to it. I hope it will galaxy brain everybody out there, too. Um, I also uh, want to compliment those 
2001 DVDs for something I didn't use the last time we did this either. Me and you both read the script, like the table read script from May 1989 of this episode is on the DVD. And there are some a few, but not as many as you think, uh, changes in there too. Just just a few. I'll, I'll point them out when we get there. But I also think, you know, we talk about how Some Enchanted Evening was such a difficult thing that the story behind the scenes was that if the next episode came in that poorly, they might just cancel the whole idea of launching it in 1990 or restart over like it would have caused made even bigger production issues but Bart the Genius came in good enough yeah. that they that they went with it. And this is John Vitti's first written half hour of television and David Silverman's first directed half hour of television. So it's uh, insane. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's insane. This worked. And, and it's also Matt Groening's first TV show he's ever run. It's Klasky Chupo's first ever half hour show they've done. And James L. Brooks and Sam Simon's first cartoon series. Like the fact that it worked at all is insanity. Like the the odds are against it. Uh, and I do think you watch if you watch the shorts and then go to this one. Silverman was definitely there's parts of this that just feel like oh this is an extended short. This scene is a short. This scene is a short. And Silverman's kind of stitching them together in layout you know but i do think it it mostly works i do think i all the smart kid stuff in here it is like graining feeling like bart in a writer's room full of harvard guys (laughs) i could see that yeah i mean we've heard it from other people who've experienced that writer's room that the you know the brains around you can be so intimidating when you're like a college <laughs> dropout or whatever. Right, they'll steal steal your lunch by talking about the weight on weight of it on Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we heard a previous guest, Kate Raft, who she was a I believe writer's assistant was her position on Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. She told this funny thing that feels like one of the kids from the show. Where she said she heard one of the writers, uh, she didn't say who, but she heard one of the writers say, it's an Intera bang, not a bang Intera when you put question mark, then exclamation point. You don't do it the other way. Like That feels like such a brainy nerd kid thing to say. I I don't know a single word you just said. (laughs) I'm being one of the gifty kids now. Well, Intera bang is where you see question mark, exclamation point at the end of a sentence. What? (laughs) I just did it. See? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Bob. Bob was even smarter than me. Yes. There. I have a master's degree, by the way. That's where it we're all comes banging, in handy. We're banging on this podcast. <laughs> The Simpsons will be right back. The 60s had the Cleavers, the 70s had the Bradys, and the 80s had the Huxtables. Now, introducing a television family you can finally believe in. Who are those people? The Simpsons. Don't shove Maggie. She's just a little baby. Don't hit your little sister. She's a girl. Keep your hands off them, Homer! They may look a little funny. You kissed me. Nothing wrong with a father kissing his son, I think. But they're as real as it gets. The Simpsons premieres Sunday, January 14th. Hey everybody, it's Mediocre Genius Henry Gilbert at the break, and thanks so much to our guest Eric Siska for coming on this week's podcast for Bart the Genius as we're starting up our revisiting of season one. We really appreciate him joining us for the 30th anniversary, and please check out We Hate Movies and all the other cool stuff he does. Now the Talking Simpsons podcast is only able to do cool things like revisiting the first season for the 30th anniversary... 
Thanks to the support of subscribers at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Folks who subscribe to the Talking Simpsons Network get to hear every episode of our podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we cover a different animated series each week. Plus, $5 and up Patreon supporters get to hear many Patreon-exclusive podcasts, like interviews with folks like the director of this episode, David Silverman, and our many Patreon-exclusive miniseries, where we talk about the first episodes of Talking Futurama, or the first season of King of the Hill, or the entire series of The Critic. You want to sign up at 5 bucks a month at patreon.com slash Simpsons to hear it all and all the other cool stuff that's coming your way. If you want something fancier than even seeing a performance of Carmen, you need to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons because for $10 and up patrons, they get all that $5 stuff plus our monthly What a Cartoon Movie where we talk about a different animated feature film once a month. Our most recent one was the Iron Giant Brad Bird's classic film that also had an unplanned impact on the Simpsons animation as well. Hear us talk for four hours about the Iron Giant in this month in January. If you sign up you'll get to hear our animatrix podcast where we talk about the anime anthology film about the matrix plus you'll get to hear our entire back catalog featuring films like spider-man into the spider-verse kiki's delivery service a goofy movie aladdin tiny toons how i spent my vacation and so so many more please sign up today to hear it all at patreon.com slash talking simpsons Uh, but yeah, I guess let's get to the opening here. I love on the commentary, grading even says, this is a slow-paced episode. Ooh, yes. And this, there's, a lot, there's a lot of air in some of these scenes. Yeah, yeah. not as many jokes like per second as I'm used to. I think, you know, once the writers see what episodes come back with from their scripts, they're like, oh, we need to r- shove in more stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I guess I should say they're working on all these before they know what the show will look or sound like. That's they're writing true, all yeah. these scripts at once, and then like after they start coming back, they know what the show can do. Yeah, that's very fair. On one future commentary, Jay Kogan will say that they didn't, when they were writing it, they they weren't aware the wife's name was Marge. They're like, they wrote Julie <laughs> in it instead. Uh, Mr. So, Burns is like Mr. Meany. Yes, yeah. I, uh, well, and also like when you see the original script that's on the DVD, you can see that like th- there's few producer credits at the start. Like you actually get to writer almost instantly in the credits in the opening. And that I think is because they didn't have a ton of on staff producers to heavily rewrite a script mm. after the table read, which has been the practice since like season two onward. So there, you know, this is a purer episode of the show from script to screen, but uh, I think it, you know, it does suffer from not being as tightly written. But here, why don't we give a listen to the first lines on The Simpsons? Come on, Mom. Yeah, Mom, hurry up. All right. Mm, How about he? Two points. Your turn, dear. Hmm. How could anyone make a word out of these lousy letters? Oh, wait. Here's a good one. Do. 
Id. Triple word score. Hey, no abbreviation. Not ID, Dad. Id. It's a word. As in, this game is stupid. Hey, shut up, boy. Yeah, Bart. <laughs> you're supposed to be developing verbal abilities for your big aptitude test tomorrow. We could look this id thing up in the dictionary. We got one? I think it's under the short leg of the couch. <laughs> id, along with the ego and the superego, one of three components of the psyche. Get out of here. <laughs> That's a long scene. It really but, is. Uh, yeah. yeah. One thing I don't think they really figured out that much was Lisa. I think they knew she was precocious, but I think Bart mm. being recognized as a genius and not her would have been uh, a huge angle of the story if they had figured her out by now. There's some slight touches on it in later scenes, and there's like one extra line in the original script that makes it more clear, but it also is like they're, I think the writers knew it was there, but they were just too subtle in the touching on it. They're like, yeah, she's, when she says, aptitude there that's showing that lisa is smart but they are completely overlooking here because they she's written as the overlooked middle child that's all they really had for lisa mm. in season one uh but there, there was one like visual gag right because homer's scrabble uh, words was like a, it was an actual word oh, yeah right? oxidize like, yeah <laughs> yeah that was fun i well i it's like something <laughs> <laughs> i like that they're all stupid and just doing two letter words yeah uh, it, lisa's is the smart is still a two-letter word but smart and you can see that uh john vd is trying really hard to like justify all of these choices where they're playing scrabble because bart has his iq test tomorrow mm. that is the reason why in two years they could just be like oh they're just playing scrabble here's a fun set piece but <laughs> he has to really like set it up like okay why are they playing scrabble and like what does that lead into so yeah he's working very hard mm. as a first-time tv writer because no normal person would be playing Scrabble. <laughs> there's got to be some <laughs> ulterior motive it's a training exercise uh, i played a thousand <laughs> games when i took the gre well the first joke of the episode is like maggie writing e equals mc squared with her blocks which sets up from the beginning that maggie is supposed to be the secretly the smartest simpson as well and there are a lot of still just uh you know uh weird background jokes happening just in one of the shots you still see a lot of the shorts gags where the gag is like look how many doorways there are in the background and then there's a painting <laughs> of doorways next to the impossible yeah. doorways it's just very weird. So many weird background jokes. And there's also like a, a photograph of Homer like screaming in the background. Like there's so many just pictures <laughs> of the family all over the place. Yeah. Now, now I want a photo of my father screaming framed on the wall. <laughs> and, well, and also the coloring is just like it's gradient. Like it's really I wonder if you remember in the deleted original version of some enchanted evening there's no backgrounds i'm wondering if they made the choice of like oh we'll color in the backgrounds digitally later mm. it'll be easier to do no backgrounds but like the the gradient is just so distracting i, I believe in the next season they moved on to like cell backgrounds just yes, like with solid yeah. colors but this one is just like very uh it's it's a little messier and also like marge's dress is almost her skin color and the banana homer grabs is all the wrong color too and i feel bad for like they uh you know they kind of dump on their uh korean not too harshly but they dump on the korean uh overseas animators a little bit for not getting things right but like they're handed this show they've never done before and then on top of that like 
draw Scrabble letters. It's all English letters that are not your alphabet. Just and then they all fly into the air. Just do that. <laughs> I I feel for them. There. Me too. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the, as a seven year old, all the crappy words they were doing, I didn't get the joke or could knew what oxidize was. So I would have just been the kid doing like the or him or do as Marge does. There's also not much to Marge in this episode too. She's she's very much your shorts version of like oh dear where's bart but yes bart though has his own fun word my turn quizibo k-w-y-j-i-b-o 22 points plus triple word score plus 50 points for using all my letters game's over i'm out of here wait a minute you little cheater you're not going anywhere until you tell me what a quizibo is Quidgybo, uh, a big, dumb, balding North American ape with no chin. And a short temper. I'll show you a big, dumb, balding ape. Uh-oh, Quidgybo on the loose. It's a very shorts ending to an almond thing, It does too. feel like a short, yeah. And also Marge's exclamation, and a short temper. Yeah, like, Marge yeah. is in on the joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, it's uh, that all all thing. Uh, you know the, what the made up word was in Critic? Quizabuck. Quizabuck. Like, Quidgybo and Quizabuck, not too dissimilar, these made up words. Duke-tastrophe was better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, what a Duke-licious saying. <laughs> but uh, I do want to say that uh, Quidgybo did not really stick around as a meme of its time. It was mm. not a line that was referenced. I think they thought maybe they had something there. It's a fun joke and I think uh, slightly memorable, but it did stick around in pop culture because the guy who created the Melissa computer virus in the late 90s, his online handle was Quidgybo. Oh, do you remember... Wow. When viruses were notable enough to be named and have yeah. news stories about them, yeah. oh, those were the days, really. <laughs> honestly, now Mc- McAfee or McAfee, he eliminated all the viruses before he went insane. Yeah, he's uh, hey, don't say that about him, Bob, or he'll come to you from his sex island and make you pay. <laughs> what, what a bastard that guy is! Because I want to know all these weird hacker names because it makes me think of that classic film, Hackers. And mm. now I, I could be imagining the adventures of Quidjibo being <laughs> locked on the roof of a school, thinking there's a pool up there. Or whatnot. <laughs> well, this guy was no Angelina Jolie. I saw a picture. He's, uh, you know, a typical dumpy <laughs> nerd. And uh, was he actually a dumb uh, ape from North America? <laughs> uh, he had sort of the the body and posture of one, maybe. But uh, nice. he got like uh, twenty months in prison. I think he was one of the wow. first people to serve time for making a virus. Wow. And That's also, crazy. if uh, for some reason, if you uh, so here's a quote from a news story that I got about the Melissa virus. If mm. the user launched the, this document that was in, that had the virus, if they launched a document. Your computer became infected. Although, if you launch a document when the day equaled the minute value, um, like t- let's say twenty minutes past uh, whatever hour on the 29th, you would Jeez. get Bart's message on the screen where twenty-two points plus triple word score, blah blah blah. Like, oh. yeah, for whatever reason, like if you open the document at a certain time, you would get Bart's message from the episode. That's that's the fun cyberpunk prankster I I want in this world. Like that, yeah. These guys never they never look like Angelina Jolie or even Keanu Reeves in The Matrix with his online name or. Um, Chris Hemsworth in that film Black Hat nobody oh, saw. That I, I actually liked Black Hat when I saw it, but I, I, I got to go back and re- revisit it. I just know it as a thing nobody watched. The uh, oh, and yeah. then Homer, yeah, they they remark on the commentary. The apparent they think 
no one in Korea had seen a banana before because the color is just all wrong on it. But it's more like a plantain. Yeah. <laughs> though, though I think it's a challenge for these first time. The first time you're animating this show, like here's these yellow characters. Do you make the banana the same color as their skin? What do you do with it? I mean, you if know? you if you look at the kitchen curtains, you'll see like half the time they're painted as corn, half the time they're painted as carrots. Nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> uh, also, they they note several times, including when Homer says "do." It's a trumpet mouth, like these long, like anteater kind of mouth when they say do. That left the mouth charts uh, pretty soon into season two. I think that's, it's one of those many things that like season one, uh, Al Jean said this about season one of The Critic after reflecting on The Simpsons, like season one of an animated show is all practice. It's only learning things to do better in season two. And I mean, graining, all I note in this are notes, all I note in this are things I've heard graining say of like, oh, I hate that. Oh, Oh, this is wrong. Oh, I hate this. Uh, such as the look of every child at Springfield Elementary. Oh, God. <laughs> they all break. They're just these freakish monsters. Almost like, entirely. All, all escape from life in hell. <laughs> <laughs> the comic. They have the they have the life in hell dot eyes. A lot of them do, and also the the Bart and Lisa hair of the hair hair that same skin tone too. A lot of a lot of broken rules, and they're also playing marbles, which yeah, yeah. which is like uh, you know antiquated on purpose. But for the first time in my life, I actually looked up to see what this jump rope chant was all about. Oh, because it's like when they're you know doing the establishing shot of the school, we see you know kids playing jump rope doing a jump rope chant, and uh, I misheard it every time, but this time, so I went to Frankiac, which did not not exist when we first did these episodes yeah yeah so uh the jump rope chant is we come from springfield and we swell when we sell swampland and that is a phrase meaning you're a bullshitter like if you believe that i got a bridge to sell you buddy <laughs> oh. that's what it means it's like oh, interesting. Wow. sort of est- establishing the town is full of like con men and you know bullshitters wow. Wow. this is like a harvard expression <laughs> <laughs> man i never i yeah that's great research i thought it there, was yeah. we come from springfield in the south swampland meaning springfield is built on a shitty swamp who cares but it's like no the kids know the town is full of swindlers and con men <laughs> so there you go uh and then we see uh, bart doing his classic bart crimes of spray painting he does skinner's face and then is a cross dissolve to had this aired in the correct order the first appearance of principal skinner and he is uh very flatly played as a boring disciplinarian though with a little a little goofy weirdness to him from harry shear's performance i think mostly and it's weird to see bart actually fear him yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> now all these jokes uh, they talk about on the commentary that their original plan with Skinner is that he was going to be constantly trying to get Bart expelled from school. Like that was his dream to do that. And we see that in the uh, the France episode later. Yes, this year. yeah, yeah. He d- he does the exchange program thing. I think the last vestige of that was when he got him expelled in Whacking Day. I think that's the the last time Skinner was trying to get Bart out of his school. Like a Ferris Bueller, Mr. Rooney type of relationship. Yeah, he's Skinner is just so clearly played as an 80s film uh, principal. Yeah. yeah, Complete with a toupee, which they never made a joke about. I'm so glad they never did. Yeah, his his hairline is so clearly drawn to be a toupee. Just the line between his top of his hair and the rest of his hair. He, he's so supposed to just like... Yeah, it's like a hat. <laughs> you can just pull it right off. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to belabor every change that happens between season one and later seasons, but his colors are so fun and it's weird. wild. So instead of having the aqua jacket, lavender shirt, and pink tie, he's got the he's got like a prince purple suit jacket. He's got like the, <laughs> the new Kevin Smith jacket he's wearing uh, and a pink shirt. It's so garish. 
And his hair is like a lighter brown too. Like, yeah, he's Skinner is wild. I uh, and we also get the in this next clip not only Skinner but the first appearance of the greatest teacher's pet that ever lived, Martin and Prince. You there? No chewing gum on school grounds. In the trash can with it. Principal Skinner, one of my fellow children is vandalizing school property. Oh, where? Over there, sir. See? Look out, Bart. Here comes Skinner. Yikes. Hmm. Whoever did this is in very deep trouble. And a sloppy speller, too. The preferred spelling of Wiener is W-I-E-N-E-R. Although E-I is an acceptable ethnic variant. Good point. Boys, let's see your hands. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Simpson. You might say you caught him red-handed. Simpson, you and I are going to have a little talk. Same time, same place. Yes, in my office after school. <clears throat> what a scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one I, thing I see uh, memed all the time is the very weird shot of Skinner looking down uh, at the kids from that, that upward shot. angle. I and I always see shot. the text pathetic. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> right. That's where that's from. Yeah. That's such a perfect meme. There's there's so many great drawings from these original seasons that, like, they got stamped out for the greater good of the show get, becoming more, you know, fluid and, and set. But I there's just so many wild pictures. And that's one of them, just how imposing and square and just like odd he looks from that angle and we do yeah. see i believe for the first time richard and lewis the mm. uh very personality free pals of bart <laughs> <laughs> i do love the martin line of one of my fellow children yes <laughs> yeah. that's good and then right after this he's got some line about like i was merely trying to fend off the desecration of the school building yeah, i love yeah i love that he's just a proud teacher's pet who doesn't even know that it's wrong like that the bark gets an f episode in season two is such a sequel to this right down to martin finally realizing like oh everyone hates me i didn't like he's he really isn't doing this to be hated he thinks he's a good uh popular kid it's weird right, to see like oblivious <laughs> it's weird to see a version of martin that's not just a vehicle for gay jokes yes yeah <laughs> i mean that would be the new joke starting in like maybe season three i think when they ran out of things to do with him I think his loot is the first time they make yeah. him uh, explicitly uh, effeminate, let's say. Uh, that voice is the late Rusi Taylor. Yeah, just recently passed away. Uh, she's, uh, I mean, most iconic for Minnie Mouse and also the nephews on pretty much every duck thing you've seen. Uh, though I think, you know, this is her most, I think Martin Prince is her most iconic non-Disney character if uh, in, in her career. I would say so, yeah. And I think, you know, she was another of those lucky people in the right place, the right time that like I we talked about this in the roasting podcast, Simpsons roasting podcast, but they cast a lot of cartoon voices of the 80s to do a lot of roles. And some folks like Christopher Collins didn't make the cut. They didn't work out. There was just a, a friction. But Rusie Taylor, like she fit in like her and Pamela Hayden, like uh, these these lifers of 80s cartoons. They were able to make the transition into the show. And I think she's really, really good as Martin Prince. Like she makes this very lightly written character into <laughs> something more memorable just from his like especially i love the delivery of, like is an acceptable ethnic variant like that's <laughs> such a funny line and yeah also the 
you know, Skinner's statement of like same time or Bart saying same time, same place. I feel like that must be a specific from somebody's, some writer's childhood because Don DeLinger says the same thing to uh, Homer and Barney in the Way We Was episode. Well, I think a lot of Skinner is taken from Life in Hell, like the autobiographical uh, episodes of that. And uh, he looks very much like the teacher that's always yelling at Bongo or mm. Macarening stand-in in yeah. those comics. <laughs> so I think Macarening is drawing a lot of his own childhood from this. There's also only one shot in this episode, I think, where Milhouse has his correct hair color. Yeah. When he's telling Bart, like, Bart, put it away. Skinner's coming. That that bit. Uh, also, another thing I didn't know until reading that script uh, is that Richard and Lewis are identified as two of his other friends and are explicitly stated that Lewis is African-American and that Richard is Asian. He, he really? it says in there that Richard is to be read as Asian. I guess I can kind of see that in a way, maybe, sure, but I don't think yeah. that's what they carried forth. I never in animation read Richard as an Asian child. And he also appeared very rarely at an, you know, maybe now, even though obviously Richard Lewis seems like the, the reference with his two friends do you think it could be a Richard Sakai reference if he is supposed oh, to be an Asian student? That is a very good point. I've never even heard that before, but that's amazing. Yeah. It was shocking to see in the in the book, because like the wiki doesn't even identify him as, as Asian or not. Yeah, so, they don't yeah. give him the Simpsons Asian skin color, but I'm looking at the character now and he does have like uh, narrower eyes. So mm. I could see how from design he could have been intended to be Asian. Well, it's not until season two that they go to a Japanese restaurant or I think meet a... Oh, well, no, they're there are i guess we'll have to note how asian women are drawn in the um million girls song that's coming oh, up later yeah. in season one that's Let, right let's see how they they figure out how simpsons work in the world of it uh, how asians work in the world of simpsons but anyway yeah bart also there's so many great drawings of bart from like different angles that they they never did in the shorts yeah i think they learned after this year front-facing characters are not the most appealing to look at and also they get a little too close to the faces sometimes <laughs> a it's lot terrifying. yeah it's a lot to figure <laughs> they, out they later use that as like a gag where like moe's trying to kiss uh what was it helen hunt's character oh this yeah like a thousand years from now on the show but... <laughs> yeah i mean i mean moe is one of the most disgusting looking front facing as would as would be a constant joke in the show uh and but yes in the next scene we also meet miss krabappel for the first time also voiced by the late marsha wallace uh or voiced by the late marsha wallace just another another uh no longer with us voice actor plus we get to hear the first time bart says his classic catchphrase Bart, I hope you won't bear some sort of simple-minded grudge against me. I was merely trying to fend off the desecration of the school building. Eat my shorts. <laughs> now, I don't want you to worry, class. These tests will have no effect on your grades. They merely determine your future social status and financial success, if any. Mrs. Krabappel, isn't Bart supposed to face the window so he won't be tempted to look at his neighbor's paper? You're right, Martin. Bart, <laughs> remember to visualize the complex problems and relax. The test will start now. Oh, Marshall Wall is so great. I didn't realize mm. she passed away so long ago. So 2013, Man, late 2013, uh, but at least they retired her character. Yeah. Though I wish they hadn't killed off Krabappel. Like in universe, she's yeah. dead. That's killing that's another depressing. one of Ned's wives. <laughs> oh, so sad. <laughs> I, I have not seen the show in a while. They killed off Krabappel. 
Yes, yeah, after uh, after Marsha Wallace passed away, Kravapal in the show married Ned. Yeah, like, that like happened. A big uh, viral yeah. thing for the show was uh, N- Nedna? Nedna. Did you like vote on who <laughs> yeah. Edna would marry or something? I mean, people could vote. I didn't vote on that. What was the other choice? I, I think it was to stick with Skinner or get back with oh, Skinner. Yeah. I think it was, which I wouldn't. Mm. You know what? I should have voted for that. That shows you the dangers of not voting. That's my OTP, Skinner and Edna. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, it's an important year. Go out and vote. <laughs> but uh, vote for Skinner. I mean, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, no, that, that Edna and him were together. And so there is an episode where they play what must have been the last recorded thing they had of Marsha Wallace, which is Edna and Ned dancing somewhere. And then they reveal that that scene was just a dream by Ned and he's wearing a black armband. Mm, and geez. he's like, oh, I miss her. And it's very maudlin. And they would do episodes after that of like, gets a new teacher like a revolving door of teachers to mm. replace Krabappel and it's just you know I guess he has to have a new teacher because so many stories originate at the elementary school so you need Bart to have a teacher but uh, it's just a bummer just a bummer I can do like a little yeah. mini bio on her I don't think we really did one originally no, yeah, so yeah. Uh, before this if you want to know where she came from she was a regular player on the Murph Griffin show something that was you know people that were alive in the 70s know about but I have never seen outside of like no. Seinfeld doing a whole episode about the <laughs> yeah. sets uh, and also most famously on the Bob Newhart show as Bob's sarcastic receptionist. And after that, she made a ton of appearances on game shows and was a ton of like guest characters on things like Columbo and Murder, She Wrote and all that fun stuff. And uh, she won an Emmy in 92 for Bart the Lover for her performance in the episode Bart the Lover. A great she's episode. She's so great yeah. in that. She, yeah. she really earned it. No, that's, uh, yeah, I watched many a rerun of the Bob Newhart show on Nick at Night to see Marsha Wallace on it. And oh, yeah. yeah. And also she was the maid in That's My Bush. Ooh. Yes. Well, yeah. she did a good job in that yeah, show. Yeah, she did a good job. It was in good. That, it yeah. was cool to see her. Like, oh, that's what uh, Edna Krabappel looks like. <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess that's less shameful than Teen Angel, her, her regular appearances mm. in that show. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Gina Reese put her in that. Miss Krabappel is such a one off character. Like that, they. I don't think they had plans for her beyond that. And such a broad joke that her name is Crabapple, but <laughs> no one ever mispronounces it. It's all everybody knows. It's pronounced was, Crabapple. Yeah, I was calling her Crandall. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of the best jokes. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I don't know if she was intended to be a uh, returning character because of the Marshall Walls connection. Is she in any other season one episodes? Yeah, actually, she's in the next episode. Oh, uh, okay, I, overseeing the class field trip to uh, at Homer's Odyssey because of her counterpart. So it's killing me, and I have to talk about this. Yeah, now all right, yes. This is yeah, my, yeah. my galaxy brain thing because I'll stop talking about this with our season one exploration eventually. But a lot of season one characters have really painful names. Uh, a few of them now are just like part of our lives now, so we don't think too hard about them. Like Kerbopple. Like mm-hmm. I see Kerbopple a thousand times. I never think of Crabapple. Maybe one out of every thousand times. I'm like, oh yeah, Crabapple. I get it. Mm-hmm. Skinner, named after B.F. Skinner. Who cares? But there's people like Mr. Largo. Largo is a musical term. Uh, there's also, you know, J. Lauren Pryor. He pries into your life. Things like mm-hmm. that. Like working too hard to make these characters 
character names funny, quote unquote. <laughs> so later we're going to meet Miss Milan, and that is another mispronounced fruit name, Miss Melon. Melon meaning your head. What's in your head? Your brain. So Miss Milan is the good version of Krabappel. I... So they're both teachers. They're both. They're two different sides of the same <laughs> fruit pun coin, and that is uh, disgusting. Yeah, they work yeah, too hard. They... Thirty years later, I understand that is the joke. It's not a good joke either. <laughs> no, I mean it's not a great joke, but yeah. it's a little too smart for its own good. I yes, until I read it in the script, I never got that until this very day that it's melon like like no melon. one mispronounces yeah. melon. So Mel- yeah. Melon Krabappel, two teachers, both voiced by Marsha Wallace. Yeah. I think last time we got the Milan joke, but uh before that I was like, it's so weird she voices both of these teachers. It's very yeah, distracting. Yeah. That's why it feels like such a one-off casting too of just like, well, Marsha Wallace plays both sides of teachers. Anyway, we'll never use her again. Or like we don't have we don't have plans for her. We don't have plans that she's gonna be like the sexy divorcee in town. <laughs> none of none of these things are in mind for these characters. I do love the talk about great drawings. When she says now, like it's such a wild, goofy drawing of her like mouth open there. Also, speaking of great moments in the show, that is Bart saying his catchphrase, eat my shorts there for the first time, uh, which, you know, on the commentary, they are very defensive about the catchphrases because John Vitti like makes it clear that they wanted Bart saying things like eat my shorts to be read as Bart watches too much television and repeats what he sees on TV. It was not a planned catchphrase that would be put on t-shirts for forever yeah the next year i had like an eat my shorts uh, poster in my room <laughs> i mean the second the brand operators and all the folks selling things heard eat my shorts or don't have a cow man they only read it as not a deep commentary on catchphrases but as the catchphrases we will put on t-shirts and every other thing which uh, i mean it said it on my sheets i had my simpson sheets had bart saying all those words all the best insults of the 60s. <laughs> also, there. speaking of subtle jokes in there, when Martin tells Krabappel that Bart needs to turn his desk, another kid, like, there's a girl uh, in the class who, like, slaps her forehead of, like, uh, of the expression of, oh, my God, this kid. He's, he, what a teacher. Oh, I didn't pet. see that. No, wow. It is played so lightly. <laughs> it's, you, you completely miss it. Usually there'd be a loud sound effect in this season. <laughs> yeah, you know what? The sound effects are not half as overactive as they were in a month prior with Simpsons roasting on there's, an open fire. There's not a licensed song playing in the background of every scene. <laughs> I, I think maybe after that air, they realized that... They're like, oh, rework that sound mix. Got to turn all this stuff down. That's one of the things they can do afterwards. Yeah, there's a ton of front-facing Bart here as he's taking his IQ test, which uh, this all feels like graining, getting back at the schooling he had as a kid of just all all the ways that they placed order on kids or all these expectations and pressure they gave. And he said one of the best parts about being a creator is revenge. And that's very oh, yeah. true. <laughs> yes, I, I love the revenge. It's the greatest. It is uh, my greatest creative outlet. I think. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, he's getting revenge on his teachers who told him, stop drawing cartoon boy, pay attention. You'll never amount to anything. All the, all the things he probably had to hear growing up as a, as a boomer child in, a, in America's sixties. Uh, and then Bart has a very long uh, visualization sequence 
Yeah, and I guess uh, from the beginning, they thought we're not going to do dream sequences, but this is sort of a test saying, like, what can we do with this medium? And this was so successful within the staff of the show, they did more. But this is all David Silverman. I believe he was drawing from a project he did in college where he was doing the set design for a play called The Adding Machine. Yeah, yeah. It's about an accountant going crazy. So as the play progresses, he works more and more numbers into the set design. So that's what's happening in this little set piece, (laughs) is that as this dream gets crazier and more chaotic, you see more numbers in the background but a lot of weird characters i love all the bystanders are so you know non-characteristic they're just like uh ziggy people i think <laughs> <laughs> i related to this a lot i i could never do a word problem or any math really whatsoever <laughs> this level of math is about where i was good at i it's oh, really a bit yeah, advanced. I, was, I was i was gifted in the opposite sense <laughs> <laughs> these uh no i mean the word problems they they could be tough for me but once it came down to just like blank times blank or blank divided by blank once i could break it down to that i could figure it out anything beyond algebra couldn't do that i love remembering i love remembering all the teachers saying you won't have a calculator on you all the time when you're an adult guess what (laughs) i have all the world's information in my pocket i mean they've taught us nothing right nothing really i don't want to dissuade your younger listeners that you you might have but nothing you learn nothing you learn in elementary school or high school really is you know as long as you put your pants on you know (laughs) i don't know wash every so often you're good unless you're gonna get into harvard and run the world then (laughs) exactly i I guess that's the thing because everyone (laughs) it's everyone who controls all of entertainment i guess i mean it predates the show we're just uh good at math when they were kids (laughs) so if you want to be a comedian one day get good at math when you're six (laughs) years old or i mean also if you want to be like a politician who decides who bombs what like you you also have to do it's a quote i think about from our friends of the show uh, chapo trap house the people that are running the world were just good at high school yeah (laughs) and it (laughs) makes a terrifying thought yes horrifying uh so i guess it matters for the like 0.0001% of students that the system is made to elevate but other than that doesn't doesn't matter so much but this reminds me of the uh the career aptitude normalizing test from uh season 3 separate vocations where Can't. one test <laughs> will determine your future career mm, yeah I a think, lawyer bird <laughs> i think that episode basically just reworks this idea it's a, it's a funnier <laughs> yeah. version of that joke yeah but the but bart stream sequence all in black and white like wild drawings where i think they they get away this we talk about the the you know major art decisions they make in this one in the dream sequence they get to be even looser with the rules at the time like bart has like a looney tunes head head getting giant scream a moment there or that Oh, the, you, I saw you tweet out the image of Martin like, yeah, the in the con- dream. <laughs> the conductor, the coal shoveler turning his head around, just this crazy animation of Martin's face appearing on an adult. Yeah. Yeah, oh. that's terrifying. And the ticket taker is doing like a Peter Lorre impression. Oh, yeah. That's Dan Castellaneta doing Peter Lorre. Yeah. It's an early example of Dan doing his thing of like oh uh there's a random character in the script what if i just did a random impersonation as that person's voice it was reminding me of the the movie m where where uh <sighs> peter laurie is a child murderer uh, just like just the idea of peter laurie luring a child it's it's it's, it's, it's uh, maybe is, it's a dark joke i don't know <laughs> you took this to a darker place at least yeah <laughs> who knows what the intent my mind was. works it's not about math it's about <laughs> 
dark things. <laughs> it's uh, that's a great film. Man, oh god, what a great yeah. film! Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's so many great drawings in this that there's also when Bart falls out of the dream sequence, like that also feels like an almond short ending of like he Bart is told to do something, he has a wild imagination, and then goes ah, and then falls down. Hmm. The fall down would be the end of the short, or like everyone reacting to him, uh, you know, falling down and waking up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but uh, in this in this case, Barton just says that he, I finished my test already. He didn't interrupt me. Like, I also like his mouth chart on that. He has the big teeth, like the little half circle teeth. Oh, yeah. There. I love those stupid teeth. Man, Martin has this coming. Yeah, he really he really does. Uh, I think uh, they they cut some stuff later in the ta- in the script that I'll, I'll get to. But yes, the uh, Martin then gets to go outside and uh, read and uh, they make faces at each other, which that is also some real David Silverman-y faces there. Especially Bart. Yeah. My favorite is Bart's like biting his upper lip with his bottom I teeth. I mean, there was but... like a short about face making, right? Like a face, yeah, uh, bad yeah. face contest or scary face contest or whatever. Yeah, I think he actually pulled some out of the out of the shorts there entirely, yeah. And Kerbopel sees him look out the window and says, what's out there? Are those naughty dogs back again? <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing, but it's, I don't know, it's just a funny line to me for no reason does it show that bart made up those dogs before and said oh uh there's some scary dogs outside like no i think the joke is there were dogs having sex out the window and the kids are very distracted oh oh wow your mind isn't filthy enough henry yeah that's definitely where it was going. it's not like a snagglepuss is going to the bathroom outside Bart then is able, in the distraction, to grab Martin's paper, erase his name, write Bart's name at the top, and then (laughs) change over his Bart's paper to Martin's, and Bart randomly fills in uh, the answers, which this is the last time we see Martin in the episode, but... In the original script. Oh, we see him at the opera. Ooh. Okay, you're right, you're right. I, I was I was wondering, like, this seems like a good B storyline of Martin going to, like, special education or something. Exactly. And Does that happen? Well, the end of this act, the joke in it originally is just them saying, like, and sometimes it's completely random how a genius is born, whatever. It then goes in the script that Skinner and Pryor say, anyway, we have another meeting. And they go into the next room. Oh. And Martin and his parents are there. And they say, well, your child is going to need to take some remedial classes. And I, he'll <laughs> never leave, live a normal life. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this thing about like Bart and Martin changing roles was explored in what? Bart gets an F? Yeah. that's uh, they've, it, It's really it's a sequel episode to this one. Yeah. For sure, yeah. So, uh, but this, they totally drop Martin here. Martin should be punished for, uh, well, he shouldn't be punished, I guess, but it's just desserts from all of his uh, getting Bart in trouble that Bart, yeah. uh, Bart damns him to a life of uh, mistreatment. Well, Martin is going to grow up to be Ben Shapiro, so he deserves exactly. to be punished. Yes, yep. <laughs> I kind of wish they kept that, that little scene in there. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Lose the, it, yeah. Lose the opera. Lose the opera. You needed to hear five songs from Carmen. They had, they're all great jokes. Uh, But yes, Bart turns in his paper and has now been called after school. You know, when you talk about things being set up, it's right there too. Skinner telling Bart to meet with me after school sets up why Marge and Homer are coming there Mm. when they receive the, uh, the test results too. So it all it all hangs together in ways that are not necessary. Uh, that well, as as future viewers of The Simpsons, you realize they're not necessary. 
Uh, Marge and Homer arrive with a with a uh, odd walk cycle. Like all the all the panning shots of walking just don't they didn't line up. Well. Really figure it out. I do love Homer's uh, very, very stupid expression on his laugh. It's yeah. taken right from the show. It's like yeah. the sort of bug eyed, uh, wall eyed laugh at yeah. the portrait of Skinner. Yeah, I think. Or sorry, the graffito tag. It's not a portrait yet. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, yeah, I think it's from the one where they go to the zoo and he's teasing the the monkeys. And yeah, so, uh, let's say dirt is thrown at his face. <laughs> I'll call it dirt. Yeah, monkey dirt. Uh, but yes, the this also this scene of them arriving and talking about parenting in this next clip. Uh, these are roles like Homer and Marge would not keep as father and mother of of Bart. But this shows Marge as the soft touch and Homer as the too harsh one. He's a good boy now, and he's getting better. And sometimes even the best sheep stray from the flock and need to be hugged extra hard. That's exactly the kind of crapola that's lousing him up. <laughs> hey. Look at this. I am a wiener. <laughs> it sure is. Mr. and Mrs. Simpson are here. Send them in. Hello again, Principal Skinner. What have you done this time, boy? I caught your son defacing school property this morning. We estimate the damage at $75, and frankly, we think it's terribly unfair that other taxpayers should foot the bill. Yeah, it's a crummy system, but what are you going to do? <sighs> oh, no. He can't mean that. My wife thinks you want me to pay for it. That was the idea. Oh. <laughs> that's my, I think that's my favorite line of the episode, actually. It's a crummy system? Yeah, just like, uh, I think it's terrible. The taxpayer should pay for that. Yeah, it's a crummy system. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's not reading between the lines. It's like, no, I agree with you. It <laughs> yeah. is bad. Uh, but uh, you got to pay for it. It's your 75 bucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then Homer still doesn't get it. And he's like, my wife has a stupid idea that you're, I'm supposed to pay for it. And he, and he pays with a check. I wonder, would he pay with PayPal now? Would mm, he, Venmo, he'd Venmo he'd, Skinner. He'd Venmo Skinner. <laughs> Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Skinner being a Bitcoin. Yeah, I think so. He's uh, he'd fall into that. I think. But yeah, Marge's expression of like sometimes a sheep stray from the flock and they need to be hugged extra tight. <laughs> Marge <laughs> does sound like a parrot in this episode. <laughs> uh, but it's funny to hear Homer's like it's a kind of crapola, crapola. I mean, we need ho- to bring back crapola. It's a great expression. <laughs> Let's repopularize that again. Yeah, I think uh, he's very much the Walter Matthau in this episode mm-hmm. for sure. Still like the '60s dad, yeah, <laughs> for the first couple of seasons, yeah, and uh, and yeah, Skinner. We see that Bart's permanent record. Way more jokes about it than too. I think though they it comes back every now and then. I really loved how it came back in the the Skinner and Edna romance episode because they just make it Millhouse's yeah. is, is giant permanent record. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely Skinner is about to get Bart expelled. Like this is his long preamble to expelling Bart from the school, and he's so ready to get rid of him. But unfortunately, he is interrupted by the iconic character of Doctor J. Lauren Pryor would make like one more appearance. I mean, as far as we know, there could be more. Lisa Sachs. Uh, he's also in Bart gets an F. He's, oh, he's the one yeah. telling him to get held back. So I forgot about that. I think only two other speaking lines, but he has more lines in this episode than Edna. Like he's he is seemingly a very important character to the show. And he has the voice of Mr. Burns. He's just Mr. Burns. Yes. Yeah. Why, why don't we hear from Doctor J here? Well, at any rate, it is my reluctant decision. Send him in. Mr. and Mrs. Simpson, this is our district psychiatrist, Dr. J. Lauren Pryor. What do we need a psychiatrist for? We know our kid is nuts. Oh, on the contrary. I have some very exciting news (laughs) for all of us. 
This aptitude test we administered this morning has revealed that the young Bart here is what we call a gifted child. A what? Your son is a genius, Mr. Simpson. Bart? This lunkhead? Impossible. No, no, we're quite certain. The child is not supposed to know his own IQ, of course, but uh, you can see it's beyond the range of any doubt. 912? Uh, no, you have it upside down. It's 216. Oh. That's still amazingly <laughs> high. So I want to say the for the first time I sort of realized why he was using that voice. It's because another actor was voicing Burns at this time. Yeah. So he's like, well, here's a voice I can pull out of my pocket. But then when he voiced Burns, he's like, well, actually, this should be the Burns voice. So he was sort of, when he was recast as Burns, he didn't know where to go except for to sort of turn this voice up a little bit more. Yeah, no, Chris, uh, Christopher Collins had recorded Burns for the next episode. So he just, he did his light Ronald Reagan, I guess you'd say, uh, especially when he says, well, yeah, yeah, he did say well a lot, but, uh, <laughs> Also lost in this time is the uh, Skinner's secretary, never to return. Yeah, the unseen secretary. <laughs> yeah, Nancy does a lot of incidental voices in season one that she would not. She pretty much just sticks to kids uh, after this. But but I like her as like as as the voice of a receptionist on the other end. Uh, but yeah, Jay Lauren Pryor, they seem to think he'd be showing up a lot to explain the things that were wrong with Bart. But yeah, Skinner can Skinner and Krabappel can just do that, and they're more fun. Yeah. Exactly. Like, why add another school administrator? <laughs> the best one, though, for him is Chalmers, because uh, as Skinner becomes less an authoritarian, more of like a, a weak coward, uh, <laughs> Chalmers is the perfect counterpart to him just to scare him at every turn. Definitely. Yeah. The, the power dynamic switching there. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, but here, Skinner is supposed to be the tough one, and he's he's listening to Pryor. I also, I love right after that, that Skinner, Skinner is doing the obvious thing of just saying, like, well, make him take the test again. He's definitely not a genius and the only reason he doesn't is because it's like oh he's gonna leave the school then forget it yeah. that's, uh, even better <laughs> so that and that's another like good plot justification of why bart isn't found out sooner and it just becoming becomes an emperor's clothes scenario which i do think that's like really smart writing that the uh everything that bart does that should prove him to not be a genius everyone talks themselves into thinking like well uh, odd genius but he's clearly so yeah. smart they are eccentric. Yeah, they're also eccentric. <laughs> I mean, in this next bit here, prior explaining in this, uh, this is a very long clip, but explaining how all the ways Bart acts could somehow define a genius is very funny. Tell me, Bart, are you ever bored in school? Oh, you bet. Mm-hmm. Ever feel a little frustrated? All the time, sir. Uh-huh. Uh, do you ever dream of leaving your class to pursue your own intellectual development on an independent basis? Oh, it's like you're reading my mind, man. You see, when a child with Bart's intellect is forced to slow down to the pace of a normal person, <laughs> he's probably going to lash out in ways like these. I think we should retest him. No, no. I think we should move him to another school. Oh, better yet. Bart, we'd like you to try a kind of school that doesn't rely on grades and rules and bells and buzzers. A school without walls. Will you do as much or as little of the assignments as you feel you need to? Does that sound good, Bart? Sign me up, Doc. Excellent. We're all set, then. Here's all the information you need. Show up around nine-ish. Mr. and Mrs. Simpson, congratulations once again. I think we're all in the mood to celebrate. <laughs> uh, this is all too much. I mean, my son a genius? How does it happen? <laughs> well, genius-level intelligence is usually the result of heredity and environment. Although, in some cases, it's a total mystery. 
You know, we to compare that to roasting, there's almost no music and just like they, there's birds chirping, but it's it's so much more quiet and they they cut back like that music sting at the end is is rare. Yeah, I think on the commentary they're talking about they showed this episode to uh, Barry Diller, who was the president of Fox. Look, he looked a lot like Mr. Burns, by the way. <laughs> and he watched the episode. And he was like, "You're gonna score this, right? You're gonna put music on this." They're like, "Yeah, we're gonna score it." <laughs> so it was a very quiet show. Maybe the Christmas episode was them just overcompensating. Like loud, loud, lots of music. Go, go, go. License five songs. Yeah. Put him in the background. The drawings of Bart as he's being tested with calipers are so funny looking too. Uh, but also J. Lauren Pryor, he would be very popular in some online subsets now with his talk about how oh, yeah. ge- genius only comes from uh, hereditary <laughs> and that it's you have certain to skull measure, shapes. Yeah, you have to measure skull <laughs> shapes. Uh, oh my lord. Uh yeah, and Jeez. Uh, so then we, what, we do we then go immediately to the charter school or whatever this is? Uh, clo- yeah, I mean, Bart gets sent to it after the next scene. But I, it, this charter school, it uh, you know, it's like Demoxenel. It always, it, it still exists, and Lisa could always go here, yeah. seemingly for free. Like there, there's no talk about tuition or anything. But Bart, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm going to retcon it to say that Bart's getting expelled means they'll never accept another Simpson again into the school. Maybe that's... I guess maybe anyone from Springfield Elementary, because, like, why doesn't Martin end up here later on? (laughs) Yeah, as he deserves to. I think what happened was that explosion later destroyed the structural integrity of the school and just collapsed the next day. (laughs) Uh, Miss Milan is dead. She died. (laughs) Uh, Everybody else was green forever afterwards. Uh, But, yeah, the... Prior, he says, excellent and well. It's excellent. all they, they, you know, new pitch for Simpsons episode. Prior returns as he finds out he's an illegitimate son of Mr. Burns. Oh, my Lord. Oh, I yeah. Pitching that phrase. Any Simpsons writers listening to this, you can use that. Just go, go ahead. I think, I think Al Jean would love hearing the, the, an episode about the return of J. Lauren Pryor. <laughs> Uh, but yes, Lisa, in the next scene there, they're at breakfast. It's one of the rare moments in it where Lisa goes like, I know you're not smart. Like you're a dim witch. Yeah, there's like a little Lisa story barely emerging, but she gets about like three lines to comment on uh, Bart's. I do think they knew what they were doing. They just touched it too subtly. They should have done yeah. it a little harder. And I think also the show, they didn't know this, the time they had, the space they had, but the show is a little underwritten. Like, I think mm-hmm. the uh, the school sketch goes on a little too long. Well, actually, it goes on way too long. Yeah. It could have been I, like half the length. I do love a line here at this breakfast table scene where uh, Homer is like looking at the sugary cereal and says, oh, maybe one of the chemicals in it is. <laughs> I love that. Smart. And he it, thinks uh, Bart's brain will explode. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, and Homer is very Fred Flintstone in this sequence, too. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it reminds me of the deleted stuff from Some Enchanted Evening. Like Homer has like neck fat spilling over his shirt. I thought you meant in the delivery, too, because he's oh, very Jackie too, Gleason. Yeah. <laughs> also that. Yeah. Well, here we actually have the clip here. How about a tie, son? Everybody knows boy geniuses wear ties. You're stifling my creativity, Dad. Sorry, boy. Bart, <laughs> this is a big day for you. Why don't you eat something a little more nutritious? Nonsense, Marge. Frosty Krusty Flakes are what got him where he is today. It could be one of these chemicals here that makes him so smart. Lisa, <laughs> maybe you should try some of this. Homer! I'm just saying, why not have two geniuses in a family? <laughs> Sort of a spare in case Bart's brain blows up. I don't care what that stupid test says, Bart. You're a dimwit. Maybe so, but from now on, this dimwit is on easy street. 
I love his hand motion on yeah. Easy Street. Really nice little flourish there. Go- going back to the Gleason thing, I just want to point out that like I think like no one references Gleason when they talk about Homer's old voice. It's always Mathow, but it's like a mix of the two. It's like everybody knows, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. and then he then he goes back to Mathow. Yeah, they're also yeah. Uh, Jackie Gleason and Homer are both prone to extreme <laughs> violence. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. violent mood swings. <laughs> Except uh, Jackie Gleason threatened his wife, and Homer yeah. threatened his son. So well, because he didn't have any kids to you know like that Ralph Cramden would have. <laughs> beat his children uh, if they oh, no. existed. He had a kid named Barney and he just strangled uh, him. <laughs> I we, thought he was firing blanks. Uh, yo, <laughs> we don't talk about that, Ralphie. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, the, uh, those chemical... Uh, also, the crusty on the box. This is before they drew crusty in Telltale Head. So they're going off of Shorts Krusty, which is a green-shirted uh, version of yeah. him. That's who's on the uh, the Frosty Chocolate fl- Flakes box. There's also weird crusties on his lunchbox and the um, the little cup he has. I mean, that is that is not crusty. That's a that's no. a space alien on that that's mug. Like someone pay, played Pictionary with their mom and they were like, draw crusty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, the... Oh, also, speaking of Marge, there was one other bit in the script I noted that the joke is prior looking at Homer and thinking like, well, you definitely couldn't be the father. It makes no sense to me that you'd be the father of a genius. Originally, it's Marge and Homer. It's a two shot of him reacting to them and Marge looking kind of empty eyed too. Uh, I think they made the right choice of it just being like, no, Homer's the obvious idiot. They also make uh, later in this episode, they make Marge a bad parent too, where she doesn't know like the, what, what the uh, word nurture is. Yes. It's like, we should have been doing, what's that called again? Yeah, just uh, they. Yeah, it seems like she's also kind of stupid in this episode. Like like the start with the Scrabble game with the he and yeah. that and the whole hereditary thing it couldn't possibly be coming from our line of blood even though lisa is smart and they insinuate maggie is too it's funny to see in these early generation maybe (laughs) in these early episodes that marge and homer have almost equivalent iq for just a few episodes it's like they figure out like okay homer is stupid but marge is just naive Mm -hmm. and innocent they do play with the homer and bart relationship in a good way for the next two acts of just showing that like homer finally believes and supports in bart uh because of this which he should just do all the time but it's actually it's kind of touching it's 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 nice to see them like this I like that Bart doesn't even know what to do with like a kiss to the forehead of like, what, what is this? What's going on here? <laughs> there's this weird stuff baked into the first season where uh, there's this like philosophy of like, what does it mean to be a Simpson? And like, no Simpson has ever done this. Or like, you're a Simpson boy. And that means this, like this weird philosophy about what their family means in the context yeah. of like society, which <laughs> does not apply in the future. I don't think. There's a lot more about the Simpson lineage throughout this whole show. Yeah. And same with like, it's also strange posing Homer's speech there. It's so, yeah, you're right. It reminds me in in roasting where he talks about Simpson. He says like, you may outsmart someone. His posing is like, it's at the end of a, of a vaudeville act. Like look to the audience, arms outstretched. You may outsmart someone. Uh, And yes, then Bart, Get shoved into class after having a clip-on tie attached to him. Oh, yeah. I got to point out, I, I put the clip on my Twitter of the animated GIF. There's just like this very long scene of them walking across the screen with the loudest shoes ever. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bart got extra uh, loud dress shoes. Uh, and they look so... I mean, it's like Rocky and Bullwinkle level walk like animation. Like is sliding across the screen. <laughs> like Poochie left for his home planet. <laughs> And I guess everyone wears ties, and now Bart doesn't want to feel left out. And it, 
man, being like in an elementary school wearing a tie, is that what the Harvard people did? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, everyone knew a bow tie kid, right? It's like, oh. it's the little, little like uh, apple polisher uh, affectation, you know, yeah. just like, I'm a good boy. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've seen where that ends with Tucker Carlson. Yeah, we see, though so he has, uh, you can't make Tucker Carlson bow tie jokes anymore because he left that behind. The racism <laughs> made his head so fat. Did you see how fat and red his head oh, is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's challenging Sean Hannity for fat headedness. Well, Fox you know, News. he took over Bill O'Reilly's time slot. That's a big head to fill. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they made the right choice by picking Tucker Carlson there because he is a sexless guy. You know, they when they right. had a ra- when they had their races before with Bill O'Reilly, he was too. Sexually Pure active, sexual energy yeah. pouring out of the TV screen. <laughs> well, you know, I don't. I think we're, we're we. There might be something about Tucker that we're not seeing that'll come out one day. Like how, like he stabs his uh, his own uh, genitalia or something. There's, uh, there's got to be something weird yeah. about that. Masturbating guy. with a crucifix. <laughs> every, yeah, exactly. Every Friday he adopts a cat, and no one ever hears from that cat again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yes, the whole bark gets shoved into the classroom, and uh, I do love the crazy, silly drawing of Homer smiling in the window after oh, he shoves boy. Bark. Yeah. Uh, and that's when we meet Miss Melon, who never appears again. I, I uh. believe she got leukemia. <laughs> no, the school crushed her. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's a ve- it's a very like a uh, storybook sort of character voice. Like, hi Bart, I'm this lady, and this is your school. It's it's supposed right. to be very genteel and welcoming, but it's just it's a little too sleepy. There's a lot of air in in this sketch here. Yeah, the yeah. school sketch. Well, and would you believe in the script there's like three more scenes of smart kid school stuff it was, like, it was a backdoor pilot for smart kid school really was, <laughs> like what yeah. if we spun off this school uh, i mean the, i feel bad for the animators that they had to design two full classrooms of children for this plot oh like, god you're right that's that's a lot but the writers at the time they still were like well the magic elves just do it if i write if i write there's five characters or 500 same amount of effort for me so who cares uh, and while she's showing him around, uh, Bart finds the one thing that interests him. You must be Bart Simpson. I'm Ms. Melon, your learning coordinator. Let me say right at the start that we have one rule here. Make your own rules. If you feel sleepy, take a nap. If you get bored, feel free to take out a book and start reading. What should I read, ma'am? Why, anything you want, Bart. Oh... A comic book? How did this get mixed in here? We used it last week as a prop in a film we made about illiteracy. You hear every page of those yeah, books in that. Every page expertly mic'd. I gotta say, these brainiacs are not open-minded to the idea of uh, graphic novels being viable young adult literature. <laughs> well, you know, it's a different time in 1990. They didn't know. Was it Mouse Out? <laughs> it was, yes. <laughs> that didn't want a Pulitzer by then. Yeah. That's yeah, true. Well, I mean, but this is cartoon boy Matt Groening getting his his punches back at them. And uh, yes, that's the first appearance of Radioactive Man. The uh, just like Krusty, a joke about a character that is Bart's hero that is like Homer, but Bart doesn't recognize it. A very off Radioactive All Man. All wrong. Yeah. Every color is wrong on Radioactive I mean, Man. I think he he really wouldn't be a thing until season two, mm. but it's one of those things like Happy Little Elves where they used a few times and they shrugged. Like, Radioactive Man had his day in the sun in Three Men in a Comic Book and then in the Radioactive Man episode, but after that it was sort of like, well, we did our jokes with this guy. <laughs> Radioactive Man gets used more in the comics. I think he is a... I think Matt Groening really likes him, so he sticks around more than the Happy Happy Little Elves. Once they made two jokes about the Smurfs, 
They're like, we we don't need any more jokes about that. Yeah, I do like that Bart knows to grab the comic first, like, and that he steals it. Like, he will be reading it later. And you can see what they haven't figured out. Like, there's no uh, real quote-unquote sign gag, except for maybe there are two books by Homer, which I guess could be a shrugging mm, at a joke. But sure, yeah. it, there's no joke where there's such a, uh, like, a just a slate, like a blank slate to write any joke you want in that whole list of books. He slowly goes over. Yeah, very slowly. <laughs> and the other kids Bart meets, uh, one of them, Ethan, has he has dot eyes. He breaks the rule on the dot eyes right there. Like he Is this a smart thing? Like he's so smart <laughs> his eyes are gone or something? I think the dot eyes are normally denote like a weirder kid, like for that mm. Matt Groening would draw than uh, than a smart kid. But uh, also it's funny they have a joke about palindromes because that was right there in the Mensa episode from season 10 oh, we just right. did a few podcasts ago. That uh, being able to do a palindrome is an easy way to express smartness. Rise to vote, sir. <laughs> Oh, M. Saeed Bart. In the script, actually, in the original script, they have a line where Milan says he did have to drop the H from O, but it still works. Mm. Like that, that feels like they were being too pedantic. Too pedantic yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but speaking of pedantry, it's time for a debate in class. Now let's all welcome the newest member of our collective experience, Bart Simpson. And now we can continue our debate from yesterday. When we left off, Calvin and Tanya were arguing that free will is an illusion. If you ask me, humankind has freedom, but a freedom fraught with paradoxes. Freud shows how childhood shapes our subconscious mind, but this helps us to think for ourselves. Very good, Ian. Does anyone else have an example of a paradox? Without law and order, man has no freedom. If you want peace, you must prepare for war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems the smartest child in the class is also the quietest. Bart, <laughs> what other paradoxes affect our lives? Well, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Well, I guess that would be a paradox, too. <laughs> Thank you, Bart. I was having a small panic attack waiting for Bart's line to start. I'm like, where is it? Uh, I was worried you guys might think I cut off the clip there. And just well, airy episode. Yeah, and that line would be uh, sampled in Deep, Deep Trouble. That's where I I only think of it hearing it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That- also, Paradox, another example, is a town in upstate New York. Uh, there's a town called Paradox? Yeah, it's in wow. the Adirondacks. Wow, I did not know. All these upstate New York things, It's yeah. uh, that's where they have steamed hams, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's more of a Utica thing. Right? Oh, jeez, they, they lied to me. <laughs> Utica is far from Paradox. I, I don't know, maybe an hour, we, 80 uh, minute drive? Uh, no, more than that, maybe. Anything it's, more north of New York, it may as well just be Saskatchewan uh, to me. I don't I don't know. <laughs> that, that one kid's voice, I'm glad they don't do voices like that. I, I was thinking about having a voice like this, talking. Uh, for the entire episode yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah i guess because it's like a kid voice right? yeah it's just like a very generic annoying kid voice i yeah. it's uh you hear it a bit in these in this first season but uh maybe I, matt graining was like no no more if you think about how much matt graining hates database i could oh. see him killing off that voice as the type as well database <laughs> is so good though yeah <laughs> he's got the like uh, nervous <laughs> before he talks <laughs> like database should be in this class he should be like yeah we're the super friends <laughs> This is where all this, after they closed the school, this is where the super friends had to go. They went back to elementary, Springfield Elementary. Uh, also, the gag about dissecting the control hamster. That's that's funny, too. I yeah. like the heartlessness of it. Honestly, that sh- 
Shapiro girl, like she's going to grow up to be a very hawkish congresswoman, I think, <laughs> by her statement. That so, is true, yeah. Yeah, for peace, oh, you must prepare way, for this war. This just in from the internet ticker. I want to Uh-oh. correct the record. Okay, so it's a two hour and 24 minute drive from Utica to Paradox. Oh, wow. <laughs> New York's a big state. I, it is. Please reduce it by half. <laughs> that should I, be. I would like that. Uh, <laughs> you, you, Western New York, it could go to your home state of Ohio. Oh, thank God, yes. <laughs> I think, you know, America could get up to 100 states if we were more judicious in how we cut them up, I think. Definitely. Could use some more senators, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, those clowns in Congress, what a bunch of clowns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, also in the script, they may, there is a line about how there's computers at their desks. In here, it's just a visual that you're like, wow, what a fancy school. Kids have computers at desks. Uh, they actually say like, oh, and you'll even have a computer at your desk, which mm. in 1990 or 89, when this was written, the idea of children having computers at insane. school, yeah. insane. We had Impossible. computer class where once a week you used a computer from 1978. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, here's your uh, Apple II, and no way to say new computer that you will ever use in your life outside of this school. Uh, you had to re- get rust-proofing on those Calicos. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the lunch boxes, which I noticed for the first time. I think this is the first time I viewed this like on a 4K TV, <laughs> so I could read everything. So one of the kids has a Brideshead Revisited lunchbox. Uh, I think that's a reference to the uh, 1981 miniseries starring uh, Jeremy Irons, based on the old novel. So it's a very smart lunchbox, yeah. at the very least, yeah. And uh, the other kid's lunchbox is from Anthony. Uh, it's by Anthony Karpov, who looks nothing like the guy on that lunchbox. Oh, boo. But he was the Russian chess grandmaster before Kasparov. Ah, okay, yeah. right. He does not look like Albert Einstein. He's more like a kind of well. He was like a very skinny looking weirdo without with no facial hair. <laughs> well, they didn't have uh, they didn't have the internet to search for those things back then. So uh, they're just like, eh, it's a it's a smart guy. He looks like that. Like <laughs> make him Einsteiny. And they, uh, you know, they were ahead of the curve. Show Showing that nerds can be bullies too, you know. Oh, they're the worst. <laughs> uh, they should have been bullied more. These kids, but uh, yes, that's where Bart gets handed a mug where they put eyedropper into, and that I, I think you're right. It's supposed to be crusty, but it's like it's a space alien. It's a very insect-like crusty, <laughs> and uh, I think it's like so. Bart has the crusty lunchbox. The joke is that they have much more mature lunchboxes, and Bart has the clown lunchbox. Mm-hmm. So that's just an extension of that joke. I do like them calling him a mediocre genius. Yeah. Also, the very cartoony giant sandwich Bart has. I I love that design. Then the scene just stands with another just like, just fade, just like energy diffusing fades. It's uh, it's an odd editing choice in these early days. Uh, So Bart's home with uh, this comic book he stole from school. And uh, Homer does us a shorts reference to frosty chocolate milkshakes. I love it. <laughs> it's uh, my mom loved saying frosty chocolate milkshake. She would if we were going to do a, a family trip to Dairy Queen, uh, we, we'd we'd hear about frosty chocolate milkshakes. Even though we'd we'd get blizzards, not <laughs> not a frosty milkshake. Uh, but yes, the the family is going to go to get some culture tonight. So how was it? Oh, oh. What? That's backwards for so so. Wow. <laughs> what are you reading there? Comic books. Oh, I guess you don't want to overheat the old noggin, eh? Tell you what! To celebrate your first day of genius school, what do you say we go out for a round of frosty chocolate milkshakes? All righty! Bart, I feel so bad for going so many years without... Mm, mm, what's that word where you encourage something to grow? Mmm. Mm. Nurturing. 
nurturing your brilliant brain, so I got tickets <laughs> to the opera tonight. Hurry up, get dressed. It starts at 8. Oh, Mom, not tonight. Come on, Bart. Your mother's only trying to help, so go ahead and enjoy the show. Homer, you're going too. But I'm not a genius. Why should I suffer? <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah, That's I did love line. Homer's odd Bart reversing a two-letter word. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And that's another example of Marge being kind of dumbed down in this episode. Yeah, yeah. like Lisa's got to tell her a very simple word. <laughs> and Marge, yeah. I mean, I want to assume Marge was nurturing Bart. Even earlier in this episode, yeah, she was doing her best. I read that as Marge overcompensating with guilt, that she's like, I should have done more. I feel guilty. Like, it, right. it feels like mom guilt to mm, me. Yeah. Also, it's a very, I think the exchange there is the closest we get to Lisa is obviously a genius and nobody pays attention, where the joke is she's asking for a word. Bart and Homer have no clue what the word is. And Lisa goes, nurturing. Thank you, Lisa. You're brilliant brain. Anyway, Bart, you're a genius. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. So I think they were at least playing at it there. But it's again, it's like they needed to surface that stuff a bit more, I think. Lisa's little smile about nurturing, it was saying nurturing too, is, is another funny drawing. And also, yeah, Homer is, I'm not a genius. Why should I suffer? Another another great line. Homer gets all the best lines in this episode. Yeah, and this, uh, so up next is the giant opera section, so which is like, to, to me, it's like four or five minutes. I'm sure it's like two, but it does feel like maybe four Tracy Allman shorts. Like they go to the opera. Here are four little jokes. Mm-hmm. They and make noises in different like ways. Science to do three thousand through it, doing doing like the crassest jokes possible, like fart noises and whatnot. The only thing I liked was just the very flat, non-clever. Um, when is this over? Yes, by Homer yeah. at the end. <laughs> I also do like the. Who's the lard butt? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best jokes in it are like Homer, uh, Homer flatly saying something like, he's like, yeah, shut up, boy. Like, yeah. It's not a joke. It's- and like all throughout this commentary, uh, David Silverman, the director, is cringing at this. He's like, this is the worst stuff that we did. And yeah. like the animation of Homer mock snoring is just so bizarre. You're not sure what he's doing with his mouth. It's just, it's a lot to ask an animation team. Like he fake snores. What does that look like? Figure yeah. it out. There's a lot of nuance they don't know how to express, and the uh, they haven't learned yet, you know. And that, and then Silverman included. I he's he's defensive too of saying like, yes, I know the lip syncs off in Cenex. This was the best we could get it. Yeah. Okay. And they <laughs> stole this Russian opera uh, version of Carmen, and the director for the first time I saw was Boris Chupovsky. Yeah. So Klasky Chupo. I love that. Like as Silverman, as we talk about Silverman, guys, you really I say it every time, but you gotta listen on the Patreon to our interview with David Silverman. Oh, yeah. I didn't give a bio for him on this episode because listen to that interview. That's his bio, yeah. like where he came from before he, the show. He tells us so much, especially on the production here and uh, making a Gabor Chupo reference to the conductor. It is that like... Gabor was technically the series director of Simpsons, though uh, there there's arguments to be made that he wasn't uh, as engaged as a series director as he should have been, and that David Silverman just ended up taking on a lot of those responsibilities. Uh, but yeah, this Carmen thing, I think they, he mentions that it's copyright free because it was like Soviet, I think. Yeah. Like, again, remember, it's still the USSR when this episode aired. That's how old it is. The joke was they don't respect our copyright, so we don't yeah. respect theirs. <laughs> uh, and I do think it's very impressive. Homer can make armpit fart noises through his suit jacket. Powerful. Very, very <laughs> interesting. He is a sweaty man. It was shocking, too. The only, like... There's somebody, there's a few twister mouths in this where Bart like reacts to something and makes weird faces, but 
I was shocked Martin's dad got a twister mouth. Yeah, I forgot that they were even in this uh, scene. And that's the model of Martin's dad we'd see for years and years to come whenever they need him. They kept this model for his parents. His mom is just like a nothing character. I'm sure they would have redesigned her if they knew she'd appear again. But uh, yeah, uh, Martin's voice not having the, you got greedy, son. Not having that voice. (laughs) Yeah, instead, it's uh, that could have been any character. Say, I, I think... I wonder if it was not even written to be Martin's parents, and instead they're like, oh, it'd be funny if it was Martin's parents. Yeah, and it's Harry Shearer going, who are those people? (laughs) (laughs) Which, that's a perfect thing for a commercial. You show that in a commercial, like, who are these people? The Simpsons, tonight at eight. The uh, yeah, the I like too that Lisa is joining in at the laughing, and it's only Marge who's embarrassed. And she's honestly, I can see it from Marge's perspective. She probably spent like a hundred dollars on these. Those tickets. are balcony seats. Yeah, these are really fancy seats. They're kidding. Marge is always the one that cares about decorum in some way. Like mm. we have to go to church for appearances, type of thing. I'm, I know that hasn't <laughs> happened yet in this series, but it's kind of the groundwork of being. Yeah. I mean, she's always embarrassed by her 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 oaf of a husband. Yeah. Uh, embarrassed by the whole family here, though they're, and they're they just leave her to get hamburgers, though, don't yeah. they? Let's get hamburger. Yeah. Well, I assume she stood up after they stood up to leave. Too. Just side. Well, there is a well. Bart says, like, well, you know, it's not over till a fat lady sings, and there's a fat lady singing, and Homer says, "That fat enough for you?" And then, it's, then it's the burger. Line, yeah. <laughs> uh, that the design of the singing fat lady too, like she's a very Rugrats looking cat. Like she's, it's an extreme cartoony design you never see. And those show. those singing soldiers are crazy. Yeah. Like it's it's fun to watch, but not part of this world in any way. Uh, I still haven't seen Carmen. I've seen I've seen clips of it. I think it's one of those things. I'll tell you what the scant bits I know of the plot of Carmen are from a Benny Hill sketch about Carmen. That's how I know <laughs> anything about it. At the end, Carmen gets like killed by her bullfight. It's like a it's like a murder suicide by her bullfighter after being chased by a man in a gorilla suit and a bobby. <laughs> <laughs> and a wig flew off the old man on the way there. <laughs> but yeah, the the whole sequence it's it's very long. But if it had been a Omen short, it would have been one of their better ones, I think. I do also like the introduction of them with their silhouettes. Like it really yeah, shows yeah. off how cool like their that. silhouettes are. Yeah. Who's the Lord Putt? He's a bullfighter. No way a bull's gonna miss a target that big, man. <laughs> Who are those people? Hey, you. When is this over? It ain't over till the fat lady sings. Is that one fat enough for you, son? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go get a burger. Then we uh, we get to see Bart feeling uh, very unwelcome at both of the schools he attends. So y equals r cubed over 3. And if you determine the rate of change in this curve correctly, I think you will be pleasantly surprised. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, don't you get it, Bart? Derivative dy equals 3r squared dr over 3, or r squared dr, or r d r r. Hardy har har. Get it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, guys. Great to see you. Get lost, Poindexter. <laughs> yeah, be the professor. Why don't you go build a rocket ship, Brainiac? Ooh, classic. Uh, 
Other best writing there. Go build a rocket ship, Brainiac. <laughs> when that dog barking came in, I was like, what the fuck? I totally yeah. forgot that dog bark there. But I do love the drawing on Milan's like R D R R. Like it's yeah. it's a funny, weird drawing. An early reference to Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> no, not really. And I think this is an actual Harvard joke. I totally think yes, yeah. It I, feels more like a David Cohen joke, but he would not join the show for a long time. <laughs> I was thinking of Futurama the whole time. I mean, while these guys also majored in math too, it's like uh, Mike Reese. He talks about how he he tried to correct a David Cohen math joke that he saw on the show, and then David Cohen was like, "Ah, no, but that's actually part of the joke that the <laughs> math seems incorrect." <laughs> so that's Jesus. <laughs> was that the math magician uh, joke? Uh, no, it was uh, one of the background gags in Homer Q. Oh, okay, okay. That the joke was that it was an imperfectly expressed Some of theorem, cubes. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Well, Al Jean is the one who was like the math genius on the staff. Yes, yeah, I think, I didn't know that uh, for the longest time until, because uh, Al Jean, you know, he's not bragging about this, though I never stop bragging about this. Uh, Mike Reese mentioned it in an interview. Gene went to Harvard at 16. Yeah. He, he finished, like, that is insane. Ugh. That is crazy. Yeah. That's Mike- why he's run <laughs> The Simpsons for 20 yeah. years. So uh, his father gave them an international airport. <laughs> well, I will say he is one of those, you know, one in a million Harvard guys who come from relatively humble means. I yeah. mean, his dad owned a hardware store. In, like, Detroit. In Detroit. So it's not like he was, like, a very poor kid, but he's he was not a... He wasn't from a fancy family. I will say that. That's reassuring, reassuring <laughs> to hear. Uh, but, yeah, I think, uh, as, as Mike Reese says, he could have been president if he wanted to be, but he liked jokes. So <laughs> he sees it as wasted potential, I think. No one who enjoys jokes becomes president. <laughs> it's, uh, he would have been left out of the room instantly but uh the the kids all being mad at bart him feeling unwelcome no matter where he goes like it's a fun sad moment for bart but yeah the the insults from his old peers don't really make much sense <laughs> this bit could just be cut I yeah, think. yeah yeah and uh, the next scene is like relatively joke free with just a sweet scene between bart and homer to sort of one of the three lines is like this new thread in bart's life is to uh is getting him and homer closer together yeah. because like bart has a new goal homer's proud of him and this is just like more evidence of that but uh no jokes no is this where they play catch yes yeah yeah well right before that they're supposed to go to a film festival to see a snooty movie directed by some swedish Swedish meatball meatball. (laughs) (laughs) swedish meatball i love that like homer and bart playing catch was also a thing that was like a a running joke for a few not a joke but like a running scene for like two or three episodes they did that a lot when homer is um the other time he's horribly depressed in the Life in the Fast Lane episode, they're playing catch where Bart like bashes him in the head with the baseball. That's what I was expecting here, but I forgot. It's like, no, they just have a nice game of catch and uh, they're <laughs> supportive of each other. And remember the uh, the short uh, where Homer is telling Bart to catch the go football. Along, go along, boy. Uh, to get it and I'll get us frosty chocolate milkshakes. <laughs> pretty easy to write <laughs> well come on you two don't forget about the film festival the what oh sorry bart your mother bought us tickets to a snooty movie directed by some swedish meatball oh no well i guess we don't have to do that um look dad i got something to tell you can i wait son it's getting kind of dark all right homer come on baby right across the plate let me feel the wind 
Can you still see the ball, Bart? Don't worry, homeboy. You're not that fast. Oh, you don't think so, eh? Well, here comes some real heat. Yeah! Whoa, yeah! Strike three. You're out of there. So what was it you wanted to tell me, son? Oh, nothing, Pop. I like what they're saying with the relationship with Bart and Homer here is that if Homer is told by some trusted party that he should understand Bart more, there's some reason to not be mad at him, then he actually gets closer to his son and understands him. And it also, but it's all just to set up the tragedy that the finale is that he completely lets go of any of the lessons he learned like that's that's what we're all leading to but yes uh also i think about how much money Marge spent on those uh, film festival tickets just uh, wasted at least lisa i hope enjoyed it i hope her and marge went i think she splurged more on the opera but still mm. unneeded expense in this poor family <laughs> those right, pre- especially since that first episode the christmas one they're so hard up for money. Now yeah. they're just going to the opera, film festival <laughs> tickets. Uh, and how fancy a place Springfield is to have uh, have a, f- a film festival going on. I think Marge's... Right, with a Swedish film in competition. Yeah. <laughs> I think Marge's hair jar is emptier than normal. <laughs> uh, it's at least light on her head, though, these days. So we go back to the school. Uh, Bart is told, you know what happens when you mix acids and bases, which apparently is a giant green explosion that dyes everyone's body's green everyone learned that with their first baking soda vinegar volcano right so, yeah, come on. yeah. simple I, science i also like that milan says like if you don't get a partner i'll assign one like it's obvious no one wants to be his partner the explosion is you know that's another like crazy shorts kind of punchline as well yeah cutting to the outside of the building for it was a very smart idea i do like that and then cutting back for just like the shot of the chaos and yeah. immediately falling afterwards is great and they mentioned on the commentary that the gerbils escaping is hamsters hamsters they're different animals (laughs) respect them (laughs) the hamsters escaping is how they got away with doing a joke that they were going to dissect them because they have to be clear like no the hamsters get away they are not dead well that one hamster's got the staph virus so it's not long for this world (laughs) right the other one's the control hamster (laughs) maybe the spread of uh it spread that virus all throughout springfield (laughs) bart caused uh caused a number of deaths i think so it's a wild choice that for the last two minutes, three minutes of this episode, Bart is green. He's just green for the rest of the episode. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for as visually interesting as the show was when it first came on, and you know, still is, but back then in 1990, seeing yellow characters was shocking. To have a green character in your yeah. third act, they're really pushing the line, but I like it. Yeah, and uh, this is when Bart uh, meets again with... Dr. J. Lauren Pryor, who, again, I think has more lines in this than Skinner, Ork, Robop, or Homer. (laughs) Now, Bart, we want to emphasize that nobody's angry about this. We're we're just concerned. When a young man with a 216 IQ can't make a simple experiment work, well, it doesn't take a Bart Simpson to figure out that something's wrong. Tell me, is the class moving too slowly for you? Lord, no. Well, then what can we do to make you happy? I want to go back to my old class. No, but Bert, don't you remember the boredom, the ennui, the intellectual malaise? Yeah, well, you know, kind of. But I was (laughs) thinking I could go undercover. Undercover? Bart, I'm intrigued. Go on. Well, I could pretend I'm a regular dumb kid. You know, to study them and all the stuff they do with each other. You know, see what makes them tick. I see. Like Jane Goodall and the chimps. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. This is most impressive, Bart. You write up your proposal while I talk to Principal Skinner. 
proposal? You know, outline your project, what you hope to achieve, what you'll require to do it. Gotcha, man. So did you know that Jane Goodall was on the show recently? Really? Yeah, I in season uh, 31, which was uh, this past November, uh, wow. Gorillas on the Mast, ah. she played herself, which is funny because like 20 years before that, there was a very unflattering parody of her Oh yeah, uh, in Simpson <laughs> Safari. Diamonds, yeah. that's right. <laughs> so yeah, she did make it on the show, but wow. um, yep. That's so I figured it had to have happened at some point. It hadn't happened... Uh, 19 years ago and they recorded this commentary for this episode holy crap i really want to go back in time in those commentaries and warn them about 9-11 they don't know what's coming they're like just a peaceful world where we record simpsons commentaries yeah. and you know hang out with our friends what a and great future you, you get the simpsons writers trying to advert 9-11 right <laughs> how so do, they, do they book they book seats on the flight and they're going to take them out before Oh, that'd be an amazing script. Yeah. <laughs> Only these eight acid and bases and take out the plane before it hits. Well, now before a commenter says this, this was an episode of Family Guy. They did oh, that. Oh, okay. Really? They they go back in time and uh, Brian warns himself about 9-11 and he gets on the plane, uh, the, the one that goes to New York, and stops it. Like So that that is an episode of Family Guy. Wow. I believe these DVDs uh, for this first season, which I and you watched for this recording, right before 9-11 or uh, right after. I, I forget when it was. It is September 2001, I think, is the release month of these DVDs. Yeah, I, which is... Yeah, these these episodes were only 11 years old when they were recording these commentaries. Like, that's crazy to think. Talk yeah. about a Terra bang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, September 25th, 2001. So you had two, two weeks of mourning, and then the world starts anew with Simpson Season 1 on DVD. Amazing. <laughs> two, two whole weeks after. Uh, Bart has some really fun acting in this sequence here. Like, I love his reaction shot. I'm like, Lord, no. Like, that's... That's great. There's also, you know, a lesson they learned in the background design in this season. They have so many just pictures of faces that can be read as like, is this a window with a person looking <laughs> yeah. in? Like they can't be read as photographs. Help that frozen person, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah you... I noticed that like Maggie's outside Bart's room in a photo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, is Maggie looking in through the wall? I think also it was just them trying to like, remember Maggie's in the family. Remember uh, grandpa's in the family. Yeah. Like just to remind the viewer, but uh, not necessary. Speaking of not necessary, I do really like Nancy's reading during this letter writing scene, but I think it's a new writer, new to television new to animation uh he's asking animators have a character write a letter for a minute make yeah. that interesting and i love the reading i love how it turns from uh, a lie into a confession mm -hmm. but uh i really feel like and i think i said this originally when we did the podcast five years ago i think it should have just been a smash cut to you spelled confession wrong yeah yeah it's th that's funnier I like the, the one of the most daring artistic choices is to just play it on one shot, like one uninterrupted shot of Bart writing. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I think it's it, it plays really long to get to the obvious conclusion, you know, but but you got to consider, too, in compared to what other sitcoms were in the 1990s, everything moved that slow, you know, like they, it's true. It's true. 
they were writing at the speed of the Cosby show or, you know, facts of life. That's, that's how long these scenes would play out on those shows. So they were just kind of following, they were just following the system there. They, they short shout out on the commentary. Uh, David Silverman does the animator, Dan Haskett, who drew a lot of Bart. I think did the whole sequence of Bart writing the letter now, Dan Haskett, that's, they got a real ringer on the animation team there. I think they were very lucky he was free. He was fresh off of working on The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. He Crazy. Was, he was the character oh. animator for Belle and Ariel, or a character animator for Belle and Ariel. Yeah. It's, uh, they were very lucky. Haskett draws some of the best looking stuff in, in season one where you're like, oh, that's a, a randomly great animated scene here. Yeah. Now, was this the guy that like snuck in all the boners in that movie? <laughs> is that something, is that like an urban legend or is that a, that might be true. Well, okay. If we're talking, uh, boy, you know, I think, I think we're talking I don't about know Disney movies. So, <laughs> so we're not talking about VHS covers. We're talking about the priest in that movie. Well, the which, priest right. sneeze. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They look like, they look like genitals perhaps. Yes. But also on the cover of the VHS box of the little mermaid, the castle has some phallic, uh, ziggurats, I guess you call it, whatever. Like, but but they all all of them on castles look like penises. Yeah, so. I mean, if yeah. go out, go outside, look around you. Just penises and vaginas everywhere you look. I mean, everything is either a penis or a vagina if you think hard enough about it. Yeah, that tree looks like a penis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that Little Mermaid poster was drawn by Simpsons artist, future Simpsons artist Bill Morrison. Mm-hmm. Which uh, listen to that interview with us as well uh, on, the, on the patreon but yes why do we hear it is long but i think we should hear the full confession my proposal by bart simpson i want to pretend i am a regular dumb kid period by this i hope oh no for this i will um, require, oh, oh man, my confession by Bart Simpson. I am a regular dumb kid, period. I cheated on my intelligence test, period. Ah, finished already. <laughs> Principal Skinner will be very interested to see. Yeah. You know... You misspelled confession. Mm. That's when all the glamour slips away and Pryor realizes uh, the mistakes they made. Yeah, and it's interesting to think that like before this, Nancy was doing like My Little Pony and Care Bears <laughs> and all that shit. Uh, and this is a real acting performance. Yeah, yeah. she's She uh, delivers when, when asked to with, with Bart. I, I, I like that about it. Uh, in that sequence, though, yeah, it, it plays so long. Uh, speaking of... A joke's too subtle, you didn't even notice it. Just now, like, Skinner doesn't want Bart back at the school, so the joke is that Pryor is calling him to tell him Bart's actually coming back to Springfield Elementary. And so you're supposed to be laughing at the thought of Skinner getting the oh. bad news off screen. <laughs> okay. But again, see, it's it's very light. It's very light. Bart is obviously expelled from the school. He goes home and is is bright green. And uh, Marge is just I think is she knitting in that sequence? I <laughs> like I, I think yeah. I don't, I don't recall. Marge is very like in the background in this episode. Yes, yeah. Just murmuring at other characters. And uh, and Homer lets Bart know that like ah, I'm sure Einstein made himself a million colors before he invented the light bulb. 
Uh, <laughs> I like that joke. Yeah, and uh, and also that he's Homer is very excited to put he's he's nonplussed at the idea of putting turpentine on Bart, bathing in turpentine, just <laughs> normal. It's cut with a little bit of water, I think. Uh, we little, see a hose. He's got a hose. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So this is the last interesting bit from the script that is different. In the script, it is clearly written. Uh, this is a table draft that's on the DVD. It is clearly written that Bart is in his underwear when being bathed, not naked. But I think that they wanted the fun of drawing a butt on television <laughs> and being like, you can't draw, you can't show uh, a non-cartoon butt, but we can show a cartoon butt on Fox television. So they, they wanted to get away with it. And I think the important context for this final scene that we might forget about is, so the first episode that aired was the Christmas special. For as dark as it was, there was a heartwarming, uplifting ending. Mm. And this episode ends with where you think a sitcom ending would go, where it's like they have a heart-to-heart, they hug, the music swells. But in this case, the father immediately decides to beat his son to death. Yeah. <laughs> and will stop at nothing until his son is murdered at his own hands. So that is the subversion that we all forget about, where it's yeah. just like, Things like um, even Roseanne, for as much as it tried to subvert sitcom tropes, was very heartwarming with its endings. This one was just like, no, Homer will try to kill Bart, and that's where we leave the episode. I think in other Simpsons episodes, they'd even have a joke of like, oh, I can't stay mad at you or whatever. Like a regular Simpsons would do that, that it would end with. I mean, this, I think, too, the animating of Homer in this sequence, it's. Silverman had already drawn Angry Homer in this kind of way in the shorts, but this is really figuring out, like, this is the fun Homer. Dan making loud, screaming noises as they animate crazy poses. Coming very close to saying dough. You're not at his first dough yet, correct? It was in roasting, but chronologically, chronologically. we're not in his in-production chronology. But not yeah, first that last shot of Homer, like, clawing at the door, banging on the door, like, smashing his face into the door, it's all David Silverman, yeah. the director of this episode. And it's like nowadays, like, you you, th- you just know The Simpsons, and you know that this 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 history of violence Homer has <laughs> is just part of the character. But, you know, when this came out, it must have been kind of jarring and surprising. It probably gave them that the interest you know like okay now this is different i mean this is the edge people are talking about in right. in being censoring bart shirts at school like he he's a kid putting up graffito tags and also uh being a, his father's going to beat him like yeah and they're showing his butts like it's, and it's all... relatable you know <laughs> yeah i love that line in uh, behind the laughter or i think it's like and that horrific act of child abuse became a beloved uh, you know <laughs> running joke on our show or something like that i'm misquoting uh, it there's also, I, I meant to say, before I play the last clip, yeah, I like to the little return to the joke of his graffiti art being now called great art because he drew it and it even puts his IQ underneath his name. With right, the there's graffiti. like a frame around it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Like a Banksy or something. I, he's way ahead. That's where Banksy got his idea from El Barto. <laughs> that's where. And I think in, uh, in Roasting on an Open Fire, we hear a Homer strangling Bart. We don't see it. Yes. We yeah. were supposed to see it like david Silverman posted a an image of like the final shot was homer strangling bart <laughs> while they're singing christmas carols but this is the first time we see an attempted strangling and it breaks graining rules so graining has certain rules about the strangling where to make it more quote-unquote acceptable and not horrific homer has to be impulsive but i think this breaks the rule that it is impulsive but homer is like hunting parts yeah he's, he's stalking him throughout the house trying to kill him <laughs> he even tries to trick bart into coming back out so he can strangle him yeah like it's uh he's he's got some plans in this in this final clip here 
Dad, I gotta tell you something. Hope you won't be too mad. What is it, son? I'm not a genius, Dad. What? I cheated on the intelligence test. I'm sorry. But I just want to say that the past few weeks have been great. Me and you have done stuff together. You've helped me out with things, and we're closer than we've ever been. I love you, Dad. And I think if something can bring us that close, it can't possibly be bad. Why, you little... Uh-oh. <laughs> What's going on up there? I think Bart's stupid again, Mom. Hmm. <laughs> you can't stay in there forever! I can try! March your butt right out here! Now! No way, man! But... Son, if you don't come out, I can't hug you and kiss you and make you feel all better. You think I'm dumb enough to fall for that? I'm insulted. <laughs> Wild noises. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about this on uh, roasting, but uh, part of the show baked into it was like, this is a very antiquated family, a family outside of time in 1989, a very 60s family, and that you heard the loud cowboy show playing yeah. <laughs> in the living room with Lisa and Marge. Watching like Wagon yeah. Train or some old like forties movie. I like too as Bart's giving that speech, you you just cut to Homer with just a blank expression on his face, which makes his explosion of anger even funnier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And though that music too, this is, you know, season one, no Al Clausen music. So it's uh it's just very standard music. There's nothing real special to like the do 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 like the little kind of sound as Bart is is making his confession to Homer. Uh, in the original script, too, the, the the punchline last line of the episode is Bart saying, I'm not that dumb because it's, you know, the whole episode's about his intelligence. So you end on a laugh of Bart saying, I'm not that dumb. But I think it's way funnier that he's like, you think, you think I'd fall for that? I'm insulted. And then you really end with just Homer pounding on a door going, rah, rah, just exploding <laughs> with like, he thinks about what he was said to him for a second. Then he explodes with rage. It's like, yeah. I, again, uh, I put that on my Twitter last night. And I was just, this is such good animation. <laughs> such a funny ending. Yeah. Of a, of a weird, weird episode. Uh, but it definitely, these are the types of episodes they have to do to learn how to make something other than the shorts. Like this is the miss these episodes like this one, especially is such the link between the shorts and Simpsons as we know it and love it. And this, and there's still, you know, flavors of what we love. We love about classic Simpsons. Plus you there's animation i think you can really appreciate in this too. yeah and they were smart enough to know that bart would be the breakout character early on before even hearing anything about what people thought about the show and it was a great episode to start the series proper with a bart focused episode i think homer would take over by like season two and a half but uh <laughs> bart was who we all wanted to be uh and this was a great way to start the series again a lot of stuff about this is dated but it is very strong for being where it is there will be weaker there will be weaker episodes in season one, I think. Mm-hmm. Eric, how about you? What did you think about Bart well, the Genius? Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty good. I was surprised, like I said at the top of the show, that um, I generally rewatch uh, episodes from like three to six or maybe even as far as ten. But that's kind of like where I've just been. And sometimes I'll catch a, like a season one episode on syndication on TV, but it's not often. So I really don't go back very often. And just seeing this is still kind of 
fully formed, I'm sure there's bad ones coming for you guys. But I was just surprised. And it's not as much jokes as I want. I, it's more airy. Like we were talking about the sitcom model. It's, it's kind of molded after and they're not there yet. All these characters aren't, you know, inner synchronous. Uh, Ida, well, now what's this word? Idiosyncrasies. Thank you. I'm not a genius. <laughs> uh, Eric, it's enough. <laughs> I, I, it's it's also a touching episode. That, you know, like that conf- the confession at the end with Homer felt very real. And then they, you know, do the 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 comedy gag of of violence afterwards. Afterwards, which also works. Uh, um, overall, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think uh, I hope we surprise more people because I said this before, but I feel like even in the heady DVD ba- uh, buying days of yore, uh, a lot of people did not buy season one. Mm. And I think with Disney Plus, a lot of people are watching it for the first time in maybe 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully we're for, surprising people. For some reason, I just I was just one of those people that was just like, oh, yeah, season one's not good. They didn't mm. find out what the show was yet. And I watched episode one and two uh, in preparation for this. And oh, thank you. both of them exceeded expectations, to be honest with you. That's great to hear. Did you uh, did you dig out your DVDs or did you watch? Uh, uh, did you do Disney Plus? I'm curious. I, ha- I have the DVDs and I did get season one on DVD and I basically didn't touch it very much. But I did it on uh, Disney Plus just because I had that hooked up for Mando and all that. <laughs> well, I hope the uh, the cropping wasn't too bad on it. I, I don't even know how the cropping was because I watched it only on my DVDs. Did you even see those hamsters escape? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might not have. Honestly, I don't really remember that part. Wow. I think the cropping is pretty bad. Um, I was like, well, you know, I could dig out the DVDs right now, or I or I could be a lazy piece of shit, and I opted to be a lazy piece of shit. But spirit. I do think the obviously the uh, original aspect ratio is the way to go. Hopefully, across uh, our fingers, Disney Plus will get it in the next six months. Seriously, I hope so, so too. Then, yes. So, Eric, thanks again for being on our yes. show once again. Uh, please talk Thank all you about. For having me. Oh, for sure. And please talk about uh, We Hate Movies, everything you do on your Patreon. You have so much content, so many podcasts, so many miniseries, and I love them all. Yeah, it's it's a lot. You could find out more information just by going to whmpodcast.com or searching We Hate Movies in iTunes. We like to put clips and stuff out of the, the, the shows we have on Patreon. Like we did the Mandalorian half hour, like we said at the top. You know, we also have a Star Trek podcast where we recap an episode of the original series and the next generation on Patreon. Uh, There's just so much stuff. So just, you know, search for us and you'll find it. And follow me on Twitter. This is like my new thing in 2020. I feel like our web presence could be a little bit better. Mm. Um, So it's uh, Eric Siska, uh, E-R-I-C-S-Z-Y-S-Z-K-A. And then, you know, I'll tweet about shit and you'll find it. (laughs) You can't spell Siska without Ska. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. very true it's a good device <laughs> that's a, that's how i remember but man but thank you so much for coming back eric no thanks for having me it's always it's always a blast and you awesome. guys have such a great show so i really oh, appreciate thank it. you so thanks so much to eric siska for helping out with this episode we appreciate him and his time and if you want to check out his show we really recommend it it's called we hate movies a fantastic movie podcast now almost like a decade old so there's there's so many episodes for you to pour over and they've got a great patreon as well but as for our patreon if you want to support our show and get every episode one week ahead of time 
time and ad free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And if you sign up at the $5 level, you'll get just that, but also access to all of the podcasts behind the $5 paywall, a hundred plus bonus podcasts you've never heard if you're not on Patreon. There are far too many to go over right now, but I can tell you uh, as of this recording, we just wrapped up Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1. That's 10 new episodes of Talking Futurama for patrons only, and there are way more miniseries going on there and more to come in the future at the $5 level. But Henry can tell all of you out there what is going on at the $10 level extra long podcast every month that are decided on by patrons yes if you go to the ten dollar level you get all that five dollar stuff bob just talked about plus our monthly what a cartoon movie podcast where me and bob talk for up to and over four hours about a different animated feature film once a month you get access to the entire back catalog like last month's the iron giant where for the 20th anniversary, we talk about the Brad Bird film, and it had a surprising impact on the production of The Simpsons, the creation of that film. So you'll learn a whole lot there. And in January, we're going to be doing the Animatrix, the mm. Anime Matrix anthology film. You'll want to hear all of those, plus the dozen that we have done before it. So please sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So I've been one of your hosts on this podcast, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. Find it every week at Retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. It's a classic gaming podcast. If you enjoy video games, I think you'll be able to find at least one episode you enjoy. Henry, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Anytime new stuff happens on the Patreon or on the free feeds, I tweet about it. And you'll learn if you follow me there. Plus, you should follow the official Talking Simpsons Twitter, where there's tons of information on our upcoming live shows and other cool things. Follow that at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. That's H E N E R E Y G and Talk Simpsons Pod. Follow us there. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. Next week, we're going to continue our season one re exploration with the episode Homer's Odyssey. And we will see you then. There are students in this class with a chance to do well. Will you stop bothering them? He's not bothering me, Mrs. Krabappel. I'm finished. May I go outside and read under a tree? Certainly, Martin.